Welcome to the Wise Guys Podcast. Wise Guys is your home to interact with the worldwide community of BYU fans in a variety of ways. We're your hosts, Dave McCann and Blaine Fowler. What you're about to hear is the audio recording from our weekly live broadcast. We invite you to join us for the show live every week to chat with us and with other BYU fans. You can find the schedule and watch live at wiseguys.com. That's ysguys.com. Thanks for listening and go Cougs. There's so much going on. It's hard to believe it's the last Tuesday of July or of June. July is like around the corner. And for a, for a Tuesday in June, there can't possibly be so much to talk about, yet our list is endless tonight. As you and I were looking at the rundown, which you always put together, um, I'm looking through it and I text and I go, wow, we could, we could spend eight hours talking about this. There's a ton of sports news right now. It's, it's crazy how much there is um, that's going on in the offseason for football, going on in the offseason for basketball, going on with the NFL, um, NBA stuff going on, coaches at the Utah Jazz being named, like yeah. just so many bits of news and, and things to talk about. Um, it's, uh, yeah, it's crazy this June. So settle in with us. we got two hours. Uh, let us know where you're watching from. Uh, get to Twitch and sign up for free, and then you can ask us questions. Chad Lewis is going to be with us in a few minutes. You can ask him a question. We'll talk about his big career here in the NFL and what he's doing right now at BYU and how important the Cougar Club still is as the Cougars march into the Big 12. we got big basketball news, developing stories out of the Big 12 and the ACC, Zach Wilson Super 6 moments as an independent. That's right. We'll break those down. He was on with us on Media Day. And um, we're going to take a look at some of the NFL camps and when Tyler Algier and Wilson will reunite as opponents in the preseason, which, by the way, is just around the corner. We get into July. We're talking about teams showing up in three weeks. Yeah, it's hard to believe. And the preseason's before you know it, and we'll get to see Tyler Algier back out on the field. Yeah. I think he's going to be an impact player in the NFL this year. I think I think he's going to be a star before it's all said and done. I hope so. And uh, we wish him all good health, wish everybody good health. But uh, we'll see him a lot in the preseason as they try to figure out, well, what can we do with him? What can we do yep. with that? So that's coming up. And Danny Ainge finds his new head coach for the Utah Jazz. But let's start with Mark Pope, who has finalized his roster. Remember, he had all those guys leave. There were 10 guys that left after last season, whether it's graduation or the portal or just a walk on, on being done. Uh, so he went to work to put some pieces together. The last one comes in yesterday, 6'11", 210-pound Noah Waterman from Savannah, New York. Where's that from uh, where you're from? So I grew up just south of the Finger Lakes in Elmira. Okay. So just south of Seneca and Cayuga Lake. Um, Cornell University, which is in Ithaca, New York, is on the very south end of Cayuga. Um, and... Where he is from is just north of Seneca Lake. Okay. So he's he's actually right in between Syracuse and Rochester, just south of the Great Lakes, just south of uh, Lake Ontario and Lake Lake Erie is just uh, to the west a little bit. But and he's coming from Detroit Mercy, where he played in thirty six games last year. Saint Bonaventure was the school he was going to commit to in the portal about a month ago and changed his mind. Commits to BYU. How big of a get is this? It, I, it's huge because we've been talking about this for the last couple of months, and we kept saying. Oh, wow, they signed another wing or another guard. That's great. They can use a guard. Oh, they signed a guy that can handle the ball. That's good. They need it. But what they really need is they need a stretch 4-5 guy, a 6-9 or bigger guy that can come in and can spell Foose and Atiki a little bit but can also make other teams go out and defend on the perimeter. So we were saying all along, can, can they find a 6-9, 6-10 guy 
that can shoot threes and do a good job from out there um, and force the other team's bigs either either for them to go small or there's bigs to chase him all the way out to the perimeter like some teams did to BYU yeah. this last year. That's what we were looking for. He's exactly that. He's a 6'11 guy, 210 pounds, that can go out on the perimeter and has a really nice stroke. Shot 44% from the three-point line over 36 games that he played in uh, in that season at at uh, at uh, um, um, Niagara or Detroit Mercy. Yeah. Um, he he is uh, he's a kid from a really small town. Like I, I think I think that town's probably like 16, 1700 people total. Um, he went to a small Christian school in upstate New York. St. Bonaventure, that's an interesting... St. Bonnie's has been really good over yep. the years. When you think of St. Bonaventure, you think of Bob Lanier and how good they were back then, but they play in the Atlantic 10. It's in western New York, really rural. It's in Olean, right on the New York-Pennsylvania border in snow country. So he had an offer from them, had committed, and decided, you know what, I'm not going to play in the A-10. I'm going to go out, and I've got a few years of eligibility left. I'm going to play in the Big 12. With BYU. I think that's really cool. He's got at least two, maybe three years of eligibility. We'll see how that works out. But what, what this signing tells me is, and, it, and the waiver's in, so they, the NCAA's got to give him access to play right away, but that's the process that everyone's going through now uh, to be able to play this season. But what it tells me is that Foose and Atiki are the centers. You know, with Hot Mill, well, maybe they get a big brick wall center Foos can be the four. That that's not that's not going to be it. Uh, but the other team center's got to go out and deal with the six eleven three point shooter, which should free up Foos from some double teams. Well, and he's even played the three at six eleven, so you know he's fairly athletic and he can shoot the basketball. So, um, hey, uh, I just have to say, Ob Grace just reached out to said y'all are distracting me on my last hour of work here in Honolulu. For some reason, just the fact that he's in Honolulu doesn't make me feel bad for him. <laughs> and and so, you're not even going to go surfing it, for another couple it, of hours. It's all good, though. I'm glad. I'm glad that you're with us. And they're asking who's going to be the standout on this on this uh, BYU boys seven sixteen. Saying who's the standout on this team? Well, here are the the transfers. They get Jackson Robinson and Rudy uh, Williams. Rudy Williams. Right. Robinson comes from uh, Arkansas. He's going to be on Sports Nation over on BYU TV tomorrow, I believe. Rudy Williams from Coastal Carolina. Braden Moore, freshman. Big-time prospect, uh, I think, out of Tennessee. And then the three return missionaries, Dallin Hall, Richie Saunders, and Tanner Toulson. So seven new faces to replace the ten departures from last year's roster, including three to graduation, six to the portal. So of that mix... Yeah, who's who's the star is what they're asking. Yeah. And and I think Foose is going to blossom. I mean, he was a star as a freshman because he, he so outperformed uh, what we thought he would do as a really raw talent and a young player. He was really good. He's going to get nothing but better. So Foose is going to be a star. He's he's long and athletic. Um, he's not tall, but he's long. He's, right, big he, long He's arms. only like six 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 seven, but he's got an, his his wingspan is over seven feet, so he can go in there and play in the post. And his ability to get off the floor and elevate is ridiculous. He just goes right over the top of people. He can defend in the paint. Atiki has got like an NBA type of a bottle a body. Yeah. He's still a little bit raw. I think he's going to have. One more year of development, but he's going to contribute a lot more. I think Foose is going to be a bona fide star. Um, and I think Gideon George is going to come back, and he's going to have to take a bigger role. So on the outside, on the perimeter, he can be a lockdown defender. He he can score off the dribble. He can shoot, I think, having Gideon George back. And that that wasn't a for-sure thing there for no. a while. As he mm -hmm. was testing the NBA waters. To have him back, I think Gideon's going to be a big star on the outside. Then I think guys like Trey Stewart, who people haven't really heard much from is going to be a contributor. You know who my wild card is? Who is it? Spencer Johnson. 
if he can shoot threes like he did at the big, beginning of the season last year, because we know he can just lock people down mm-hmm. on the perimeter defensively. He could be a starter. He, he could, could be he a could starter. Be, he could be really good. And then one of these new guys, um, you know, whether it's Williams or Robinson, who are more wings, guards, or, or it's Noah Waterman, um, who's going to come out and give them a different look, a stretched big guy at 6'11", or is the freshman at 6'8", um, going to give them some some more presence inside Braden and some Moore. versatility in Braden Moore. I'll tell you, of the of the guys coming back from a mission, Dallin Hall is is a complete player. People forget because it was two years ago, but he is really good with the ball in his hands. He's a and distributor. He be, he's a scorer. He could be it. He, he could contribute right away. And I think Tanner Tools is going to come out, you know, come out there and knock down some shots. This this group coming off missions. Remember, this is Mark Pope's first mission class. Um. In, in his recruit, his time as the head coach that he recruited that went out of missions that, that come back. This trio is really skilled. They can all shoot. They can all score. Um, so Hall, Saunders, and Toulson, what, what do you bet one of those guys ends up being an integral part of what they do this, this fall and winter? And you know what? I'm not uh, disappointed that all those kids left, um, and I'm, I'm excited for all the kids that have come. Um, I think if BYU returned the same team as they had last year, uh, they took fifth place in the WCC. That's not acceptable. Nope, not at uh, all. This new group gives you a chance. For one, there's intrigue because you're like, how are these pieces all going to come together? Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, and the new addition to the coaching staff for Mark Pope. But um, finishing the roster is excitement for basketball. Now I'm eager to see him come out of the locker room. I think this is going to be a really athletic team. Yeah. So I think this is a team that's going to get out and run because even those bigs, you think about – like Atiki and Foose, they're thoroughbreds out in the fast break. They get out and run out on the perimeter. Uh, Noah, the, the new addition um, as of this week, he's a big guy that can run the floor. Um, and and Braden Moore, the freshman at 6'8", he can run the floor. So all of the bigs can run. And then we know that the guys that are coming back uh, um, can run. The three return missionaries are guys that can run. I think this is a team that's going to have the ability to really play some fast break basketball, which is fun. People... Hey, we love going to the Marriott Center and watch teams get up and down the floor. When they can fast break and score in transition, um, especially at the Marriott Center, they're hard to beat. Shout out to Coach Pope for getting the roster finalized. We look forward to having him on the show as we get closer to hoops. Let's talk football for a moment. Big story out of the Big 12. It looks like they have a commissioner. Mm-hmm. Uh, Brooklyn Nets CEO Brett Yormack. Uh, the current COO for Jay-Z's Rock Nation. Also a six-year veteran with NASCAR. So, he comes in with entertainment and professional basketball, professional management into the Big 12. You don't see any collegiate experience in there. Is that a big deal? I, I think that this is the trend. Remember what just happened with the Pac-12 when they yep. got their new commissioner? They went to the former executive of MGM uh, Entertainment pre- Properties, right? Yep. So the guy that was running everything that that you for so many years saw happen down in Las Vegas and whether it's sporting events and, and big time boxing or, or UFC or any of that kind of stuff, but all of the entertainment properties of MGM and he moves over to the PAC 12 because college athletics, big time college athletics, it's the entertainment business. You have to have people that understand television contracts, how to promote things how, like, and this is what the, what he brings. Plus, you know how I love hip hop and Jay Z. I know you do. You know? Jay Z's a hip hop guy. DJ, am I right? Jay Z <laughs> is Jay Z not the most powerful man in in uh, in the music business? Jay Z needs a new CEO. Yeah, Jay Z is is a producer. He's a great performer, but he's a producer. Who yeah. doesn't like Jay Z? So here's what he's uh, got. Oh wait a minute, who's Jay Z's wife? <laughs> 
Beyonce. Beyonce. Don't let's not forget that. Thank you very much. So, I'm surprised I knew that. If this guy's running, if he's running the stuff for Jay Z and Beyonce, he's good enough for me to run the Big Twelve. That's all I have to say. So here's what he has to do. Here's the to do list. When you got to replace Bob Bowlesby, who's been there forever, you got to negotiate the new TV deal with the all new Big Twelve. The current deal expires after uh, in 25. Uh, you got to oversee the exit of Texas and Oklahoma. Maybe it's good to have someone come in that's got no baggage one way or the other mm-hmm. with those two. And then you've got your first football schedule to release coming up in a few months in October. That's a lot to get going in addition to four newcomers to the league. Yeah. And Bob Bosby's done a great job. Yeah. I, I like his background because I think the, of the list that you just put together, he's got people that are left in that office that understand scheduling. right? They can put that together in a heartbeat. That's what they do. Um, Texas and Oklahoma – Pretty much with the announcements this last week that they're staying and and the, the the teams that are coming into the Big 12 are coming in a year earlier than they thought, with the exception of BYU, which we always thought was going in. But all of that's kind of baked. The most important thing that he has to do is go out and negotiate that new TV deal. Yeah. And, and all of the – basically, it's the entertainment rights to cover the Big 12. That's what he's he's good at. And so I'm – I'm excited to see uh, when he rolls up his sleeves and get going, how creative he can be with giving Big 12 exposure um, that they deserve. And, and hey, this is a league now that it's, goes from the Rocky Mountains all the way back east. The West Virginia. And, for, and it goes north to south, right? So it's, it's got a big footprint and, and, need, and needs a, a lot of promotion. Um, and the better this guy is, the more dollars they're going to come into everybody's coffers, including BYU. Brett Yormack, we look forward to getting to know him. They'll roll him out, I imagine, at Media Day for the Big 12 coming up uh, in a couple of weeks once we get into July. All right, here at home, BYU football, Landon Chambers, six foot, 210-pound running back from Keller, Texas, commits to the Cougars this week on his Twitter page, offers from Navy and Air Force. That's all I read. Once I saw Navy and Air Force, I thought, runner, tough kid, disciplined, a good fit for BYU, school record in rushing and in touchdowns at Fossil Ridge High School in Texas. Part of the 2023 class, but, um, yeah, I look at Navy and Kenny Amatololo, and I, and I look at Air Force and like, we got their running back? That's got to be good for us. Yeah, and, here, and I tell you, Kenny and, and Troy Calhoun at Air Force, they only recruit kids that they know can make, uh, make it at the academies, and it is a grind. Yeah. And they're, they're academic – um, rigors there are more that's Ivy League level right especially if you're majoring in engineering or aerospace engineering or something like that the fact that that's where he turned down tells you oh he's going to fit in very nicely at BYU he'll be a smart player that's disciplined and very very tough that's exactly what BYU needs it fits really really well how about Maury Bamba 6'3", defensive back, junior college transfer. He tweeted he's 1,000% in, not 100%. He went 1,000 from Tyler Junior College in Tyler, Texas. Tanner Jacobson was his coach over there in high school. How big of a deal is Bamba? This is a big deal because Bamba had an offer from Auburn and chose to not go to the SEC but come up to BYU. And Tanner Jacobson, I'm sure, sure had something to do with that, Talk, talking to him about the great experience that he had yeah. here at BYU, both as a graduate assistant and as a player. Remember, Tanner started and started as a freshman at Texas Tech and then transferred to BYU after his mission and had a wonderful experience and contributed. And, uh, I mean, he was a big part of that. But but this is a big defensive back um, that's very skilled. And with Isaiah Heron retiring this makes due to it, health, yeah. He comes this, right in. He's got three important. years. This is important, and I like the fact that he comes with three years. So that's another good get for BYU. It just the, the uh, BYU football continues uh, to add 
uh, to that roster, uh, quality talent that's going to help them not only this year with a with a P5 schedule again, basically, but as they transition to the Big 12 the following year. A couple of notes before we get to Chad Lewis. Pat Hickman's the director of recruiting, comes back from Virginia. We had the same position there. Jan Jorgensen, the defensive analyst. I know you talked to him yesterday on Sports Nation. Uh, back to help the defense. Well, why not bring a guy that sacked more guys than anybody else with That's his right. 30? And Jan's going to have so much uh, impact. He just understands technique so well. It'd be great to have another guy out there that can just watch and help these guys with technique and help them prepare. Um, and he, I'll tell you, Jan's a grinder. He was he was an ultimate fighting there for a while. Yeah, for, yes, for he was. That. I wouldn't want to see him no, in the ring if no, I was on the other side no, of that. Would not want. We'll to. talk about Andrew Mickelson here in a, in a bit. Uh, the ACC today announces their f- scheduling format. Uh, starting in 2023, they're going to scrub the Atlantic and Coastal Divisions and go with a 3-5-5 formula. Each team will play three primary opponents every year, and then they'll face the other 10 league teams twice during a four-year cycle, once at home, once on the road. And then the two teams with the best conference winning record get a play for the conference championship, and it's their design to get into the, in the, into the final four. Is that a good model for the Big 12? I don't think so. What don't you like about it? I I think for the ACC, um, one one division was dominating all the time. The division that Clemson was in, right? Yeah, right. And and so they had a strong division and a weak division, and they're just trying to look for a solution. But to me, there's not any flow to that. It's it's almost like you're not you're not playing. I I would prefer to have two divisions. You play crossover games. I I like the way the Pac-12 set up with with that. I like the way the Big Ten set set up. Where there's where there's divisions, SEC set up that way. You have divisions. You win the division championship. You play for the for the league championship. ACC's mixing it up. I I respect the fact that they're trying to think in a different way, um, but I I would prefer I would prefer divisions and you play for a division championship and then you and then you play for that championship. We'll see. Just, just like our guy does. that we're going to talk to right now, Chad Lewis, played in a division and then played Wyoming. In a WAC championship. Got a right? touchdown. It's Our guest tonight is the author of the book titled Surround Yourself with Greatness, which is also the motto of this show. And so we've tried to surround ourselves with Chad Lewis. That's right. That's we right. are surrounding That's we ourselves. With greatness. Uh, if you want to ask Chad a question, hop on our live stream and we'll try to get yeah. to as many uh, as we can. Let's, and let, uh, let's let's tell let's tell a little about Chad while we're waiting for him um, to get in and talk about right now he's the associate athletic director for development um, and he oversees um, and, and works with the Cougar Club, uh, the the organization that your dad Dale McCann founded and grew um, to to support the BYU athletic program. The many legend. many moons ago. Yep, uh, tight end from 1993 to 1996, two time first team All WAC uh, player. He's in the BYU Hall of Fame, inducted in 2007. Two stints with the Eagles, right? Yeah. So 1997-99, then he was with the Rams in 99 through 2000, then back to the Eagles on their really good run, 2000 to 2005. Like he's just listening to he's us listening read in. all his accolades. Hey, most importantly to you, but not to me, is that he was a captain of the Orem Tigers. You're, you're all in modern. Golden Tigers. So um, served a mission to ta- Taiwan. Um, before his mission, went to Utah Valley State College. His wife, Michelle, st- it, still the best athlete in the house without question. <laughs> um, they have five children. Um, and you mentioned he authored the book, Surround Yourselves with, with Greatness. And Chad's with it. Hey, Chad, how long did it take you to write a book? It took me a year to write that and publish it. It was a great experience. Seven kids, though. I had twins at the end. They're 13. Oh, Bam. that's right. That's right. <laughs> hey, so. thanks for joining us. 
Yeah. Se- wait, seven you. kids. Who else matches you other than Reno Mahe? Of all the legends, is Reno the only one that can match you? I think that's probably right. It's probably Reno. I just saw Reno. La- I just saw Reno last night at a at a little league baseball game. By the way, has he survived the? Is he out of traction now after it coming was, in and catching a pass in the alumni game? It was so good. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so good to see him and he and Sonny um, at this little, at this baseball game. So we had, we all had hugs all around, and he just you know you know Reno Chad. Does that guy ever not have a smile on his face and a positive yeah. attitude? Great teammate. I love him. So positive. Always. Always so good to people. Just incredible. So in the Lion King, you got Uncle Scar has a classic line in there that he's looking down at the hyenas. He says, I'm surrounded by idiots. <laughs> what is the key to being surrounded by greatness? You know, when I say surround yourself with greatness and the title of my book, Surround Yourself with Greatness, it's not surround yourself with the greatest people ever. It's surround yourself with people that make you better. Surround yourself with music that inspires you as opposed to degrades you and takes you down to Chinatown. Watch movies that lift you up instead of strip your soul out from inside your body. Um, So greatness means the stuff that edifies, that builds, that lifts, that brings light, that inspires. And that's what we're talking about when we say surround ourselves with greatness. See, this is why my parents were always happy when we were hanging out with the Lewis kids. That's right. That's right. You know, if you're around good friends, there's a really good chance you're doing good things. Not all the time, but there's a pretty good chance that that's going to work I out. I want to talk to Elder Holland about this because this is this is a wives' tale tenth uh, version story. But I was told that when someone asked him, "Would you rather your kids have a great testimony when they're teenagers or great friends?" and he said, "I'll take great friends any day. Wow, they're going to get the testimony if they're around great people." And that point. to me sounds like something he'd say. So I need to talk to him and say, did I hear that right? Hey, <laughs> hey uh, we, we, we have a lot of people that are, they'll come on the, this stream with us and uh, BYU boy 716 saying, Hey, what is Chad's favorite movie that lifts him up? He's interested to know. You say, watch great movies that lift you up. And then, and then also Obi Grace, who's over in Hawaii with us, ask what's your favorite song that has that similar effect? Let's start with the movie. What's, yeah, movie what's your first movie? and then song that lifts you. Are you asking me? Yeah, yeah. they're asking. Our, our live stream folks oh are asking. They're like, hey, ask Chad this. We want to know. There's so many great movies. I mean, It's a Wonderful Life at Christmas Time, Rudy, any football show. Remember the Titans? That thing is sweet. <laughs> I want you to go watch that thing again. But there's, man, there's just so many powerful movies that lift and, and push and make you see things in a better. Same thing with music. Like when I was at the Philadelphia Eagles, uh, I needed the strength of great music. And that's when I was listening to Motab driving into work. So come thou fount of every blessing. And I'm trying to be like Jesus and I'm bound for the promised land. I'd crank that up and I'd rip down the highway and I would go into the locker room like, okay, I got this. I wanted, um, I wanted to walk in that locker room with, with the power that I needed. And it was, it totally changed me. Now there's a good chance that when you walked into the locker room, Mormon Tabernacle Choir was not on on the loudspeakers with <laughs> with the team. So how did you hold all that together? How did you blend the two worlds? I'll say this: sometimes the music in the locker room or the weight room was so foul. I'd tell my weight coach, I'd say, "Hey, I'm going to come back and lift later. This this is jacked up." And so I'd I'd come back and lift on my own when I had to. Um, foul music is just not cool. Like it's 
it's hard just to ignore it. Sometimes you have to. In life, sometimes we have to absolutely ignore the crap that's around us. And that's part of life. Life is not supposed to be all rainbows and sunshine and flowers. Like we have to, we I have think, to figure it out. I think he just went Rocky Balboa on us he right did. there. He did. With it just came right well, out. And, and that, they, they both have roots in Philadelphia. It's all about, it's all about Philadelphia. So our, our um, some of our followers are, are asking what, what years you were in Taiwan and what mission? I was 90 to 92. Kent Watson was my main mission president and Tim Stratford at the end. I was the Taiwan Taichung mission. So the South, the middle of the Island down to the South and greatest place in the world for me. And, and many, many people that have followed your career know that um, you played an important role for the NFL as a liaison um, to China because of your ability yeah. to, to speak Mandarin and uh, um, talk about that experience a little bit and how that helped you grow. When I went to the Pro Bowl, the NFL asked me in Hawaii, hey, we want to do a lot more stuff in China. Would you be willing to go over there and be an ambassador for the league? And I said, heck yes, let's go. And so that's when I, I did the Super Bowl for the first time um, in Mandarin. It went live. And and uh, <laughs> I told the NFL, I don't know if this is going to work because I speak missionary mandarin that's different than just everyday lingo and super like, that's oh, different from great. super bowl mandarin correct <laughs> so i'm i'm doing the broadcast with the john madden of chinese broadcasting mr han and i was saying what what you tom brady chuan to jung chit i testify that trump tom brady's throwing two passes <laughs> and they're like that's a very interesting way to call a game and that's that's what i did for the whole broadcast of the super bowl it was like my entire missionary database just just flooding on there. That's all I had. That's awesome. Hey, who was the greatest football player you ever suited up with? Wow. Sheesh. Great question. Um, I'm looking. I had Donovan McNabb and Brian Dawkins on my own team. Yeah. Oh. Donovan threw for a million yards, turned that city around, turned us into a perennial winner. Brian Dawkins was the most lethal defensive player in the history of the game he just i was with him yesterday in philadelphia and just talking to him i just remembered his intensity and how he wanted to remove your head from off your body and <laughs> he just hit with such ferocious anger like and he talked in his hall of fame induction speech about the depression and the the dark places that you know that would chase him the demons and I tell you what, he played football like he was being chased. That guy was, he's something special. Yeah, I mean, he's, he's one of my favorites, wow. one of my favorites of all. One, one of the greatest to ever play that position in the history of the game. So, that, so that's cool. Those are teammates of yours. Did, who, who was the best you ever played against during your time? Oh, man, Ray Lewis. I have a picture in my office of me and Ray Lewis going at it. I'm catching the ball in the five-yard line. He's tackling me. He's face-masking me. No call, no penalty. He got away with a lot of that. He got away with a lot of those things. He was one of them. That dude was a beast. <laughs> he he went sideline to sideline so fast. He had more energy than than you can even comprehend. And this started pregame, and it went through the game, and it went to the end of the game. Like normally, if you start screaming and and hollering, you're tired in 20 seconds. That dude sustained it for three and a half hours. <laughs> 
Have, hey, you, ever, have you ever seen the video of Chad Ochocinco trying to go down and crack block on him? <laughs> yeah. Then he had him mic'd up, and he goes on the sideline, and like, what's wrong with you? Like, it's all days. He goes, I, I tried to blindside Ray. He, he ran over me. Like, he, he ran right over him like he didn't exist. <laughs> That's right. So, I mean, Michael Strahan had to block that dude. Oh, man. New York Giant, absolute beast. Yeah. Um, just, just so many great players. My first... My first, um, yeah, my first catch, my first start was uh, I was with the Dallas Cowboys, going against the Dallas Cowboys, Monday Night Football, first play of the game. I run up to the line of scrimmage, and I see their nickel coverage, and Deion Sanders is guarding me. I knew it was a play called to me. Ty Detmer was the quarterback, and I thought, with Deion on me, there's no way Ty's going to throw it. And sure enough, I ran my route. Ty stuck it on me. Deion tackled me. And I stood up and I was looking at his face and I tapped him on the top of the head. I was like, what's up, Dion? <laughs> <laughs> I've seen him so many times on TV. I was, so I, the next play, my personnel's off. So I run off the field and Luther Broughton, the tight end, he's a, my backup. He was like, you're so stupid. What'd you say to him? I was like, man, I just said, what's up, Dion? <laughs> That's he's awesome. like, oh, bro. Hey, what is there a difference in how winning feels when you're in college as opposed to in the NFL? I would say it's more intense in the NFL, like from the head coach on down, from the owner on down. It's just like so intense. The win is is beautiful. It's a great deodorant, covers up all sorts of garbage. And the losses are also so intense. Yeah. I mean, so intense. And that's why one loss can bleed into two losses can bleed into three. If you're not careful, that's why Andy Reed had such a gift and at, at being able to snap a losing streak quickly, get back on the winning thing, just, you know, how he does it. And that, that's a good question. Few people have asked me that. Yeah. Um, there, there was a nice, in the pros. There yeah. was a nice um, connection for you. You had Andy with you in Philadelphia, a BYU connection. Reno was there for part of the time that you were there. Um, and we, we came back and stayed and Vi was back in town yeah, as, 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 a, as a broadcaster time. and with you. And you know, Brendan and I came back with the kids and spent some time with you guys when you were all back there. Um, it's kind of a nice little happy family back there and a lot of connections back to BYU. Uh, how special was that? And how different was that, um, that you had that opportunity to be there with some close friends with the same kind of ideals and, and goals and thoughts that you have? Oh man, save me. We called it BYU East. Ty Detmer was there. Morris Unito was there. Tim McTire was there. Um, through the years, we had Justin and Reno Mahe, and so many great teammates. And and it all it all worked with Andy Reid as the head coach. And then uh, in the locker room, game day and during the week was my bishop, Vaisikahema. So he lived down the street at his house all the time. That was that was one of the Philadelphia was being with Bayan Keala. Um, feeling the spirit in their home, reading the scriptures with them all the time, sitting around at their table for three hours, talking BYU stories, Eagle stories, laughing, crying. I, I just felt like I was the luckiest football player in the history of the world. When I think that, when I think of Chad Lewis, I think of this play, um, and we're going to show it. You may not be able to see it, but our folks will be able to see it. After losing to Utah 34-31 in 1993, you're a walk-on freshman, and the Utes have gone down to the North goalpost, and they're going to rip them down right in Lavelle Edwards Stadium. I ran in there, and I just went flying in the whole group of them and got them off the goalpost, and then they all turned on me and were cussing, and we started swinging and pushing, and 
the best part for me was my brother Mike, who played for Utah just the year before. He jumped down on the field and he was standing right there. Like if they were gonna start taking shots on me, he was he was with me. And my brother Dave was there. And um it was it was super intense. Brian Hughes came in, you know, right after me, and then I remember our our linebacker coach Claude Bassett, one of their players punched him right in the face. Oh man. And he had a huge cherry on his cheek. I didn't know that until Monday. We had a next game against um seems like we played UTEP or something the next week. And Claude Bassett pulled me out of practice and he's like, Hey, that thing you did after the game against Utah, that was the greatest thing I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> <laughs> But and, it was it was iconic because of of how you became a leader on that team as a as a kid that um, that was just trying to get on the team. Uh, yeah. And and when you talk about seizing moments in in your life, and, and maybe at the time you didn't think that well, might have been the smartest thing to do once you got in there, but as you, as you look back at it, that was a key turning point in your legacy. Yeah. You know what's interesting is one of the things that makes BYU great is so many people at BYU, whether walk on or scholarship who have a deep love for BYU, not, not a casual, they love BYU and wearing the Y on your head and, and uniform just means so much to take the field to represent BYU with everything that it stands for. And that's part of the glue that makes BYU such a powerful force in in all sports but for me specifically football and I felt like that moment I wasn't thinking like hey this would be a great time to show my teammates how much I care about this place it was like bam bam running yeah and it was so so deep in me it was like hey we're fighting you know you want to rip down our goalposts no that's that's you beat us in the game 54 four yard you know swinging uh, draw field goal is amazing kick, but that was just too much. And, uh, so the fight was worth it and it was just, it was deep inside of me. So it wasn't something I really thought about. And, and sometimes you just have to fight, right? Chad, like, it, yeah, like I was actually, I don't know if I've ever said this on the air, but BYU's playing coastal Carolina. You, you were, I don't know if you were there or you were just watching like we were in the studio. Um, and, and they cheap-shotted Zach Wilson down on the field. And I wanted somebody it. to go beat the crap out of that guy. Was I wrong in wanting somebody to do that? No, I, I, he took it to such a crazy level. Yeah. That was, that was way out of normal football. That went, that went, like, you remember when the dude from Green Bay did that to um, Jim McMahon? It, yeah. it was I, that same level of craziness. Something snapped. And I, I felt like that was just way, way too far. I'm, I'm with you. That was just too much. Yeah, and I, and that I was, wasn't football. And I, and I asked later, and, and uh, I, was, I was talking to Gavin. I'm like, Gavin, I can't believe that some of our line, like somebody didn't run out there and just deck that guy and get him off of him. And, and Gavin said, here was the problem, Dad. We were, like the play was down the field, so far down the field. Everybody was focused on the play. Nobody saw it. He wow. said, he said, believe me, yeah. if anybody saw that, half the bench would have been on top of that guy. I said, okay, I feel I feel better about the team now that you just told me that. Because yeah, because it was at the end of the half, right? Yeah. And he checked a Hail Mary or something. It's, down it's there. just like that. I was disappointed that he didn't get defended. That's your quarterback. You gotta go defend that guy. Yeah. So well, Chad, yeah, that, that was that was crazy. Now your passion is uh, in a different role as the athletic director, associate athletic director over development. That includes the Cougar Club, which we're all passionate about. Uh, here comes the Big Twelve. 
And so let's start with this question here. How important is Cougar Club now on the eve of the Big 12? And why should folks feel like they need to be a part of it when all we hear about is how much money's coming toward BYU as being a Big 12 member? Oh, we're definitely going to get more money being a part of a, a strong, you know, Power Five conference. There's yeah. no question about that, and we need it. But we also need to improve Lavelle Edwards Stadium and all of our facilities. So the type of money that it takes to compete, look, those teams, Texas, Oklahoma, on down, they have plenty of money. Do you think they fundraise? Do you think they go after it year after year after year? Still, 2022, you better believe it. Why? Yeah. Because it takes money to win. It takes money to have the resources for your teams. Football on down. Football carries the day for every sport, unless you're Kansas and basketball carries the day. Yeah. But those teams, like, that's what you have to do as a fan base, as a donor group. If you care about your team, then you rally and you support. And it's in that rally and supporting that there's energy generated. The team feeds off of that. The school feeds off of that. The, everything improves the way you recruit, the way you travel, the way you, you know, improve, hopefully improve your facilities. And you do that so that your student athletes have the greatest chance to have success, to win, have a great experience. Um, and yes, there's a balance in there. When I first took this job, Tom Homel said, Chad, if all you're worried about is getting shekels, you're in the wrong business. I want you to connect with these student athletes get to know them, be a mentor, like love them. And if you can do that and raise money, then you're going to be successful and you're going to love this job. I do love this job. I love BYU more than ever. Um, I love the student athletes that I get to know and, and to see what they go through behind the scenes. You guys, you, you, you see it and you know it as well. Those stories are amazing. Yeah. Um, so I'm very grateful. One thing we noticed, uh, through the Cougar Club, and I grew up in the Cougar Club with my dad, um, is that it is a way for a fan to feel invested as opposed to just I have my ticket up in Section 7, Rows 2 and 3. Um, and we saw that coming out of your 84 championship team and the groundswell of BYU had just won the national championship, but the swell of the Cougar Club was I want to be a part of this in a different kind of way other than someone who paints his face and, and goes to the game and yells for four hours. What is it about the investment, and, and whether it's twenty bucks, it used to be you could be a Cougar Club with right. twenty five bucks or a hundred bucks, a thousand bucks, or or now it's a million dollars uh, on the other end. But what is it about this power of investment that you're you're looking for from the fan base? We need people's investment of time, resources, money to help us go forward. But what's interesting is, and I, I alluded to it on Media Day when I referred to Elder Uchtdorf. When he said, you know, people on a cruise, if they're not eating the food, they're in their in their cabin just eating crackers because they don't want to spend <laughs> extra money eating food. The food's already paid for. Like, jump in, live with your privileges. Don't live beneath your privileges. I want people who love BYU to jump in, to be a part of it, to, to help the work of helping these student-athletes become our community's next leaders. I want them to be a part of it because when you're a part of it, everything is so much more fun. You're alive. You connect to the coaches, the student athletes, the, and it just helps you embrace the whole thing. It, when you just watch without 
helping. It's easier to just um, either not be as much invested or to just be like, ah, who cares about that? Um, those guys need a better coach. When you're when you're a part of it, you just you feel it. You feel the spirit of it. You feel love. It's I need to do a better job of sharing what I feel right there. But that, that's my best answer for. There's a question tonight. from Doctor. Yeah, Doctor. Ketch says, how do regular people support the effort? You know, you you know we we're, we're all friends with with Ryan Smith and Ryan donates in a big way. A lot of guys you know donate big dollars and they're they're really visible um, in, in the way they do it. And, so, and a lot of our friends have been blessed with. Uh, with great success in the tech business, and they've given back in a big way. But but yeah. what if you don't have a bunch of money that you can give? How do you, how do you support this effort when you don't have a lot of means? I uh, know we have we definitely have the Blake Ronies, the Ryan Smiths, the Nick Rears. We have so many great donors. But the widow's might is just as important to us. When we did the all in campaign in the middle of the pandemic, we're twenty million dollars in the hole. And Tom sent out that video to Cougar Nation, the whole globe, saying, hey, we need you now. We need your help. We're hurting. Everyone responded. We had four people over 100 years old give like 20 bucks, 50 bucks, five bucks with a note saying, I wish I could give more. And it was so powerful to see people give what meant something to them. And I just... From the combination of the efforts of all the people, we got back to being flush. We got back to being in the black. That doesn't happen if we're just relying on the big people to pay big money and and the rest of us are just kind of coasting. Like, if you can give five, five bucks, give five bucks, and you're in. Um, if you want to give a million bucks, give a million bucks if you have it. I, I would never pressure or push someone to give more than, you know, what they could. I don't want anyone to run faster than the strength that they have, but I want them to be a part of it and feel it. There's so much joy in being a part of it. Did you hear the subliminal back in black reference from I, Chad Lewis on, from we, our favorite Chad, band? everything always goes back to ACDC with this guy. I don't know what to do. Listen, a question, question came in and this is a good one. And then we, we got uh, the six top performances in the Chad Lewis reign at BYU. We want to go over and then we'll let you go. Uh, and we sure appreciate your time today. But how do people sign up for the Cougar Club? That's a question coming in tonight. Just jump online. Go to the Cougar Club, cougarclub.com. Um, and it's very easy to sign up. You can do, if you, the lowest members, Y-Fan, it's five bucks a month, 60 bucks a year. Um, that's one Big Mac. So uh, I would love every member, every person in Cougar Nation to also be a member of the Cougar Club. Um, so, yeah. And Cougar Nation shows up. Before we get to the top six, how fun has it been to go on the road with this independent schedule? And uh, how many? there's so many stadiums as we get out on the road once in a while with a team. You're out there with them. When BYU takes the stadium over. They've had multiple stadium takeovers on the road because <laughs> Cougar Nation is pretty special. I mean, we didn't take over Tennessee because they had 100,000 people there, <laughs> yeah. but the pregame to see the amount of Cougar fans that were there blew me away. And then to have that game and then Nebraska and Wisconsin and Texas, some of those big road victories and the amount of Cougar fans that were there and how we all celebrated that doesn't happen with just a normal fan base. It happens with BYU and the Cougar fans around the world. 
All right, Chad, we're going to roll out six of your top performances, and then we want you to uh, – they're not necessarily in any order, per se, uh, but then tell us what comes to your mind as soon as you as soon as soon you hear the stat. We'll finish up with this one. Uh, you want to start? Yeah, start. So the first one is seven receptions, a touchdown, versus number 13 Texas A&M on August 24th, 1996, to start the season. Ty Detmer. We watched Ty Detmer on a highlight tape the night before the game. He had both shoulders separated when he played against Texas A&M. And he was in training camp for the Eagles. And he said, you know, I don't got no love for Texas A&M. They're not going to respect <laughs> you guys. Don't give them none. Uh, go go and hit him in the mouth. And just watching him, our team was riveted, I'm telling you. We were ready to go. That game was – that was everything. All right. Two catches for 43 yards. You know, that's not lighting it all up. A touchdown, but it came in a big game against 19th-ranked Wyoming December 7th in the WAC championship game. I still remember you're in the back of the end zone and Sark hits you, and uh, it was game on. Yeah, you know, Etu Lamili, he had his knee blown out in the first half. Uh, We ran a naked bootleg. He was first level. I was second level. He caught it there Jason Lee or someone hit him low their safety and his his knee just did a helicopter. Mm. We went in the locker room. Our team did not want to come out in the second half. We did not want to play. We were sick. I was so sad. Um, it took us a while in that third quarter before we like got playing again. It was really, really hard. So when I think of that WAC championship game, as important as it was um, to get us in the Cotton Bowl, it was Tula Mealy. So, so now that takes us so exactly what you're talking about, the Cotton Bowl. Seven receptions, 79 yards. You're playing number 14, Kansas State. January 1st, a New Year's Day Bowl, 1997. <laughs> Shame your Brook with all of his sacks. Steve Sarkeesian <laughs> um, throwing the lasso and the rope around Chris Canty, who was out with cramps, and Lavelle Edwards, first January 1 bowl game victory. We wanted to win that so bad for Lavelle, and that was a that was a big game. You grew up your whole life watching games on New Year's Day. What did it feel like to take the field in one? Oh, my gosh. We couldn't sleep the night before. Couldn't wait to play in it. And to walk off that field victorious, um, holy smokes. There was, there was a sea of purple yeah. in the Cotton Bowl that day, and the sea of blue walked out really happy. We did it. We fought. We fought. We overcame every challenge. We did it. We won that big game. All right, let's go to 1995. Three more of the top performances for Chad Lewis at BYU. San Diego State, September 16th, six catches, 102 yards. Your only 100-plus-yard game and a touchdown. Yeah, that game was huge because we started the year, we got beat by Air Force, and then we came back and got beat by UCLA at home, and people were like, okay, we're off the bandwagon. And as a team, we fought and we beat San Diego State. Tim McTire had a huge pick six in that game. Um, that was that was a fun game. Um, I just remember catching those passes and just feeling like they could not. Sometimes you just feel like you can't be stopped. And that was one of them for me. I just felt like I don't care where they throw it. I'm catching it. I'm making plays. We're going to win this game. Hey, I've. I've- Throwing some balls to Chad back when he was playing, he'd be home in the offseason. I'd be out there and throw some balls. Just let me tell you, pretty much anywhere you throw it, Chad's catch radius is gigantic. He catches the ball everywhere you throw it. I love throwing to Chad back in the day. 
Okay, Chad. So I didn't the- get I didn't get in the math line in heaven, but I did get in the catch football line. Yes, and I stayed in that line. Yes, that's a good did. line to be in. So the next one is uh, nine catches, eighty four yards against Arizona State, October twenty fourth, nineteen ninety four. Arizona State, the Sun Devils. Yeah, um, that was a big game because we played UTEP the week before. I caught a ball down the middle, and someone hit me in the back, broke a rib. Every time I bend over, my rib was popping. Ole Yolkin and taped me up for that game. He was our trainer and went out in that game and and played with a broken rib on my back. It was it was crazy. During that game, I caught a little pass over the middle and I didn't go down on the first hit or the second. And I was able to pitch the ball to Jamal Wills. He took the thing 75 yards to the house. Um, that game, we lost that game. But I learned something about myself that I could play through injuries as long as um, it was manageable and wasn't going to destroy me. I learned that I could play through a little bit of pain. I learned that you got to play really, really well to beat good teams. And as much as it hurt to lose that day, I learned a lot about myself and my team. All right, let's finish with December 30th, 1993. Four catches, 41 yards, and a touchdown against Ohio State in the Holiday Bowl. And considering all that you went through just to get on the team, to catch a touchdown in San Diego against the Buckeyes to wrap up that first season. That was big. Um, Norm Chow called my number down a couple times on, on a drive. I The first time I ever jumped over someone was in the UTEP game, the game before. And so I felt like, okay, I'm jumping over everyone. And I caught a ball. It was, again, it was naked bootleg to the right. John Walsh threw it. I caught it. I jumped over the DB, but I didn't see the middle linebacker come from the inside. And he launched me in the air. I landed on the ground. And I separated my right shoulder. I was hurting so bad. I was not breathing. And you were covering the game. I remember you just – you know, watching the replay just it was so crazy. Two plays, I go out, I'm laying under the bench trying to breathe. And Coach Chow's trying to run the next play. And we got 10 guys on the field. He's like, what the heck? Where's our tight end? <laughs> and I'm over there going, Ugh! and finally someone's like, dude, you got to get out there. So I went out there. I caught the one-handed touchdown pass. And for me, that put me on the map. A big game, a bowl game. Freshman, Ohio State, catching a big touchdown. I just felt like I can do this. I can make this a career. If, you know, good things happen, I'm lucky. I grow, I get stronger. It's amazing. No one knows that you had such trauma. They just go, man, Lewis, he can catch anything. But the the setup story is amazing. Uh, And the thing, Chad, is – like now it's all now it's really eating at me because I'm thinking about that Ohio State game, and and I played against them twice – and they, and they got us the first time. It's the only game I've ever played in where I thought, man, they need to do a running clock because if they keep going with this thing, we're going to lose by 100. Um, and they knocked Steve out of the game. Their two linebackers hit Steve. They helicoptered him. They had to take his ear pad out because his helmet was on sideways and his nose was sticking out the ear hole. <laughs> they took his ear pad out to get his helmet off. And I'm like, well, he's out. I'm in for the rest of the game. I go in a couple plays later. Steve comes trotting back on the field. I go, what, what are you doing? And he goes, I'm in, you're out. And so I go out, and, and Holmgren goes, what are you doing? And I said, I'm out. He goes, well, who's in? I said, Steve. He goes, Steve's not in. They're supposed to take his helmet. I go, he's right there. Eight, eight is right there. And he, and he played the rest of the game. 
he played the rest of the game. But but so we lost that, and then we lost to them in the Citrus Bowl in '85 when we were better than they were. We lost in a close game. It was like ten to six. We need to play Ohio State again again and beat them. We that we Bring owe them. them. We got to get them back you know on the schedule. Let's play them in a bowl. You know what's cool about that story is you captured the essence of Steve Young right there. Like <laughs> there's a stubborn toughness that's that belies and that, that's that underwrites his great physical abilities, his speed. It was this toughness that he was not going to be defeated. Um, and it that that toughness is what cut through his anxiety that he you know wrote about in his book. Yeah, it was that's just him. That's his essence right there. Like. At some point, that dude is one tough son of a gun. Oh, he is. Well, and if Steve tells you you're out, you're out. I don't care what Mike Holmgren said. So I was out. He must have learned that from McMahon. You just follow You just follow those guys. He's the author of Surround Yourself with Greatness, and he surrounded us with greatness tonight. Chad Lewis, the uh, Associate Athletic Director over Development at BYU. Great player, great pro player, full of stories. We hope to have you back again uh, another time because uh, – you're a, a treasure trove of, uh, uh, first of all, the fans love you because they love your energy, but um, your stories, you lived it. And uh, most of us grow up dreaming of living it. You lived it, and uh, we sure are glad for your time tonight. Oh, thanks so much for having me on. It's great being with you guys. Appreciate it. All right. Thanks, thanks Chad. Chad. Yep. How about that? Some of the responses in going, such an awesome play, talking about that Buckeyes touchdown. Didn't know you were injured, as they're writing to Chad yep. on our yep. live stream. And, 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 and somebody asked, is Steve Young going to play in the alumni game? I, I don't know. He says he is, but Steve's, same thing with Ty. They both kind of kind of yeah. side commitments. So, I get, I, they, so when they asked us to broadcast it, so the guys came up to us and, and they said, hey, Blaine, would you, would you be willing to, to broadcast the alumni game? And, and I looked at them, like, and, and I gave them – I just wanted to see their reaction. I was like, uh – yeah, I, I, I guess, but I'm a little bit offended. And they go, what? And I said, I, like, I want to play in it. And they, go, oh my gosh, do you really, you really want to play? No, we feel so bad. That's that's the complete oversight. Like, no, absolutely. If you want to play, you can play. And I go, no, I'm just kidding. I have no interest in playing. I whatsoever. figured someone had called your doctor yeah, have, before. I that have no interest down. in playing whatsoever. But I just wanted them to feel bad for a minute. We'll we'll stick to broadcasting. Chad was in the game briefly yep. uh, this past spring, and we look forward to what's going to happen next spring great to have chad lewis with us this will be up on the podcast too and you can listen to his stories he, over again all of his big catches so i'm i'm thinking one of the biggest catches he's ever made he caught a touchdown in the nfc championship game to send the eagles to the super bowl beat the falcons and he broke his foot on the play yeah and didn't get to play in the super bowl and so yeah chad chad has made some unbelievable plays and he's endured some some big time injuries that was a Liz frank fracture the same kind that the Taysom's uh incurred twice in his career so a couple of former Cougars in the news as we continue on the wise guys here, ysguys.com and uh, hit that purple button, sign up for a free Twitch account. That'll allow you to stream with us. And uh, we're getting a lot of reaction tonight. It's good to have you with us. Our goal is to create the largest community of BYU fans in the world here in primetime on a Tuesday night. So let us know too, where, where you're uh, watching tonight. Fred Warner married over the weekend to Sydney Hightower Congratulations, Fred. He's emerged as one of the best linebackers in football. Last year, last July, he signed an extension worth $95 million bucks with the Niners. Yeah, that's – and well-deserved. He's been 
if not the best linebacker in football in the top two. Yeah. Pr- pretty clearly. Um, one of the best players in the league defensively. He, he's been in the top five defenders in the league, period, um, when, he, when he's been healthy. And so that's well-deserved. And, hey, a little note on, on Sydney. First of all, she's cute as heck, right? Yeah. Um, what, and a, what a great power couple. But Sydney has a little bit of fame of her own as she was a contestant on The Bachelor. And so, yeah, I, I read that. I'm yeah. like, all right. Yeah, so Sydney was on The Bachelor. People recognize her from The Bachelor, but she she got the real deal this time. This yeah. isn't this isn't pretend television. No, she got the real deal. She she definitely traded up from anybody on that show to Fred Warner, who's who's a quality individual and an amazing human being. San Francisco opens the season against Kairos Tonga and the Bears in Chicago on September 11th. NFL training camps, and we the reason we thought that was kind of important to talk about is it gives you an idea of how close we are. The mm-hmm. rookies report for the Bills and the Raiders on July 18th, that's in 20 days. Yeah, it's unbelievable. And when they report, they don't unreport. They report and they go right to the season. Right. Uh, full squad, first team with full squad are the Raiders on July 20th. And, and Algiers got his calendar ahead for him. Yeah, he reports to the Falcons on July 19th, the full team because uh, they have rookie, they have a rookie camp for a week. Their full yep. team reports on July 26, and then that first preseason game, Raiders play the Jags August 4th, um, and that's the exact same day as the first full day of camp for BYU. You know why I like that? It, it's the uh, Hall of Fame game, and none of the stars play in it. And it's it's horrible football. But in all my years of of working TV news and sports, whenever that game came on, it meant that. There was always going to be football on through the Super Bowl. It's like here like, we go. You just got to see it. It's on network TV, and it's like a, it's like an old friend. It's back, and it's not going away. And when when you and I watch it, we just go, okay, for for real, here we go, because that's when we start doing countdown to kickoff and post game live and after, after further, further review. review and all the shows we do all fall long. And then that takes us right into basketball season and then basketball. So we know when that Hall of Fame game starts. Um, our weekends are pretty much taken up <laughs> until the spring. Until the until spring. the snow thaws, or maybe even a little beyond that. We we've got our work cut out for us every weekend. Algier is going to debut uh, at the Lions. I don't think Jamal Williams will play in that early preseason game, but mm-hmm. that's where he'll come. You got the single season rushing leader coming up against the all time rushing leader in the NFL for two former Cougars, and then um, and I was thinking. Zach and Algier play later in August on a Monday night. That might be a good night for a uh, for a live stream. Yeah, that was like be on the NFL Network or ESPN, and, sure. and we could watch that with everybody and kind of just sure. react to what we see. Yeah, that could be fun. That might be a it's fun a good one. idea. Another former Cougar I talked to today on BYU TV on Sports Nation, Andrew Mickelson. Maybe you saw it over the weekend. Uh, Forty seconds knockout into his MMA fight, his fourth amateur fight. I watched it. It was impressive. Gives kickers some more street cred. And uh, he was on Sports Nation this morning. He was on Pat McAfee's show uh, this afternoon. And uh, he's getting some props for uh, for doing what we hadn't seen kickers do. He was a tough guy in that thing. Yeah. And this this was his fourth fight. Um, and and he's 3-1 and one now. And and he, he looked really good. Now, Jan Jorgensen, who pursued a career for a little while, and UFC, we had him on Sports Nation Monday. Um, yeah. Is today Tuesday? Yeah, yesterday. Yeah. We talked to Jan, and Jan said, "Oh no, I watched it critically. He's really, he's really improved, and he's getting good." We asked him what's next for him, and he goes, "Uh, 
his wife his wife doesn't like his MMA career, so they they got to work that out. But he was on 177 kickoffs during his BYU career, and so as we talked about it today, you kick off, you get to go down there and hit people. You know, Matt Payne did the same thing, and so this wasn't a kicker that was hidden behind the line of scrimmage and and kept from contact. He'd kick it off and go down there and start looking for and, people to hit. And he always – Andrew's always in the gym. He was, a, he was a strong guy. We were teasing yesterday on the show because the guys asked me, like, could you last longer than 45 seconds in the ring with Andrew? And I was like, of course I could because because I would use old Did you hear what I on. said about you today? Yeah, I heard. <laughs> but – and here's the thing. You got to love Andrew because he respects his elders. Yeah. And, and he's also – That is true. And he's also a good friend. Gavin coached him and – and, uh, and he was very respectful. He would knock me out so we're, fast. We were talking about your strategy of moving around, and, yeah, and I yeah. said, Blaine thinks that octagon's a lot bigger than it is. <laughs> and um, so, I, but I, I would tie him up at first with my old man strength. We asked Jimmer. Jimmer was on the show today. Mm-hmm. And we said, hey, if you became an MMA fighter, oh, what former teammate would you like to face in the octagon? And it took him less than half a second to say Jackson Emery. Oh, he would fight so, Jackson. Jackson Emery. Why, why would go. he fight Jackson? Because he said he's slowed down. He's got he's got poor shins. He'd go after his shins. <laughs> he's and, go, uh, he's going after the guy who's falling apart. That's he would not right. take him out. He, it, I'm telling you, Andrew represents like the new wave of and kind of how kickers are right now. Have you taken a look at at BYU's punter and starting kicker? First Ryan of all, Rico. they're both NFL guys. Yeah. So Rico is a he's almost a no miss guy. Talking to Lee Johnson, like he can just stand there and just. 65, 70 yards, one after the other. And, and Ryan's got to be 240 pounds. He, and he is big, strong, lean, looks like he could start an outside linebacker on an NFL team, um, a, an incredibly gifted athlete. So he, he'd be great in the ring. And then people, if you haven't seen Jake Oldroyd, Jake Oldroyd gets in the weight room too. He's a big, strong dude. These guys don't look, if you see them, they were coaching Cougars Cubs camp, and I had a couple of grandsons there, and I was looking at them, thinking, "Man, these guys—you wouldn't pick them out as kickers." So, so, uh, and they're just—they're just trying to keep up with Andrew. Andrew's got the big tough guy image now, and now BYU's punter and kicker. I, I would put BYU's—I would put Rico and uh, and Jake Oldroyd up against any punter kicker combo in the country. First of all, yeah. punting and kicking, mm-hmm. and then second of all, for for pure physical, you know, size and strength, I put them up against any combo in the country. It's going to be interesting to see if Rico gets to kick enough to get into the national stats to where he competes as the best punter in the country. Because the offense is too good. Yeah. He scored too many touchdowns. That's yeah, that's not great for hey, the, the punter. The scouts love him, though. They come watch him just boom it into the ceiling at the indoor practice facility. Coming up in just a bit, as we are in our second hour, uh, Zach Wilson's Super 6 plays from Independence. And we remind you, the season premiere of After Further Review, that's just around the corner, Tuesday, July 26th, 7 Eastern, 5 Mountain on BYU TV on the app. Uh, And we kick off our season-long coverage with a one-hour special on Tyler Algier, Run Into History. That literally is just around the corner. We We had Stadium of Fire, 4th of July, and then all of a sudden it's After Further Review. Which, by the way, folks... My guy right here hosts the Stadium of Fire again this year. He's the – are you the master – what do they call you? Is the host or the master of ceremonies? It, it's a different kind. I don't even know what, what the is word it? is. What's the word for what you do? Uh, but I, I don't know. It's somewhat of a host. I've, I've got uh, uh, my part with introducing the um, the honorees and again introduce Marie Osmond. Yeah. She comes on the stage. Tim McGraw is going to be the headliner. It's almost sold out. I think it will be sold out by tomorrow. I've got a story in the Deseret News coming out later this week. I went to Tim McGraw's 
songs, mm-hmm. and I picked out a set list. If Tim McGraw was singing a set list for BYU's football season. Mm. So it's the name of the song and a reason why it would apply to a certain team on the schedule. I, it turned out pretty good. That's coming out later in the so, week. So when you're, we're just going to call it hosting. When you're hosting, do you get to just hang out with Tim McGraw? Uh, my, our trailer's right next to his, so there might be some Wait, of So that. you have a trailer just like a movie star or something. Yeah, yeah, that's nice. kind of cool. Um, I hung out with Keith Urban for a little bit when he yeah. was here. That was like a, I really loved that. That was awesome cool. for me. Well, remember when you and I were back doing the West Virginia game and, and we stood on the sidelines and had a really nice visit with Brad Paisley's dad. Doug. Or, yeah. Doug Paisley. And, and Doug's been a good friend of Dave's. And every time Brad's been out here and he says, let me take care of you guys, I've been out of town every time he's been out here. If they'll come back this fall, we'll go. Now, we went up there with some friends because you were gone. And uh, I went and got uh, a BYU shirt. For Doug, uh, the dad, the dad drives the bus. Doug drives the bus, and and we gave it to him as a present when we when we saw him at the concert, and and he took us up front and all this stuff, and we gave it to him. He disappears. He comes back. He's in the BYU shirt. I love it. He goes, I'm, and it was just I think it was just like this one, a short sleeve one. He goes, this is what I'm wearing to drive the bus. <laughs> I love it. And they're big West Virginia, yep, boosters and yep. all that stuff. But first class, and, and McGraw's first class, and uh, I'm, I'm, I'm emceeing the awards gala at the convention center Thursday night. That's kind of a big deal. It's just a super It's, it's week. a phenomenal week, and it really is. It's such a, such a great tradition here in Provo. And there'll be four jets, um, I can tell you this. Four jets are buzzing the stadium. Yeah, and, and, and our, last year, one of our, uh, for, the, for the BYU-Utah game, one of our BYU alums was the, yeah. flew the lead, I don't know what you call it, but the... They the, came in low, they came in high. Yeah, he was a squadron leader, whatever you call it. See, Dave, Dave gets to go to Brad Paisley and hang out with Tim. I just get to go to golf tournaments because I, I just went to the Masters, and yeah. I'm, I have a dilemma right now. I know what your dilemma is. Because I just got invited to go to the British Open. Yeah. and, and it's, But it's in a couple weeks, and the airfare is ridiculously expensive, and it doesn't time up. I'd have to fly straight from there right, right in the weekend back to L.A. for another commitment. And so I don't know. I need help from you guys. If, if you were invited to the British Open, um, and it and it's it was kind of expensive, and and uh, you know, would you? And, and my, my boy Corey uh, Yoshimuro, um, uh, Yoshimuro is over in. I don't know if he's watching right now. He'll he'll listen to the podcast if he's not. He's over in Tokyo, and the, the greatest guy in the world. There he is. He just he's just on there. Corey's on. Listen, Corey. Here's Corey the says, thing. just do it, Blaine. It's it's like this setup. It's. Corey's going to get you free tickets that are going to cost you five thousand dollars. That's the, that's the key. In, in so, airfare, although you got the miles, you could do it. I, I know it's just like the the airfare and the logistics are tough, but but I'm just like Corey's taking care of me. That's my guy right there. I'm trying to become Corey's and, new friend so I can go to the Masters. <laughs> Corey, I just want you to know we I'm love all you. In. We love you, Corey, and <laughs> and I appreciate the invite. And I and I got to figure it out. I'll I'll call you. Well, it's in the middle of the day over there. What is the, no? The cool thing is that Corey's in Japan. It's in the middle of the day tomorrow in Japan right now. And how about that Corey's on with us from Japan? He yeah. gets the award every week when he can, can join us for being the furthest away and and coming in on Twitch with us on the live stream. I love it. 10 a.m. So it's 10 a.m. over there. It's awesome. So thanks for being with us, Corey. And I'll we'll have to talk tomorrow live and figure out how I'm going to make my way to the British. Other news and notes around campus, and there are a lot of them, and let's get you up to speed. The USA Outdoor Track and Field Championships just wrapped up in Eugene. Top three finishers qualify for the World Athletics Championship as part of Team USA. And uh, this, this last weekend, this is the best in America, professional 
and amateur. Uh, so the college kids that just won their national titles were going up against the best of the best to try and make uh, Team USA. And we congratulate Courtney Wayman. She was on our program uh, the other day, finished number two in the steeplechase. She beat her own record by four seconds. So, so she set the NCAA collegiate record and broke that record. And you remember we had her on. We, this was yep. the all-champion show because we had Ashton on with us as well who had won the NCAA championship in the javelin. She broke that record by eight seconds, and then she went out two weeks later in the U.S. championships and broke that record by four seconds. This is, you don't break those records by eight and four seconds. It is an incredible performance from from Courtney, who's a Cougar, and also a Davis Dart. Davis Dart, so she's going to the world's Dallin Shirts, finished number two in the discus, so he'll move on and represent the country. Uh, Some other big names Connor Mance, national champion two times. Ashton Reiner, who was on with us, national champ. Anna Camp Bennett, Whitney Orton, national champ. Zach McWhorter and Cameron Bates. Uh, some came really close, but that group did not get in the top three. Can you imagine how hard it is to get in the top three of the best of the best so you can be on Team USA and go. Uh, but a shout-out to all the competitors, and then we salute Courtney and Dallin for, right. for making the squad. That's awesome. And, and Ashton, who came on the show, she's got a special place in our hearts now because she came on with us. She finished fourth, one out. Um, but remember, when we talked to her, she was telling us, oh, there's there's so many things that I you know I have to fix. I can do this. I can do that. Because she, she had to recover for almost a whole year in rehab from no. Tommy John surgery, and all she did was go out and win an NCAA championship. The sky is the limit for her. You mark my words. She's going to be throwing that javelin in Paris in the next Olympic Games. Next and, year, and, she'll go for a back-to-back right. national and, title. And Courtney is going to be running the steeplechase in Paris in the Olympic Games. How about that? I'm looking forward to that. Women's soccer, speaking of a global reach, BYU's Leveni and Davinia Vaca going to compete for Tonga's world national team next month at the OFC Nations Cup starting July 13th in Fiji. That tournament will decide whether Tonga earns a spot in the FIFA Women's World Cup. The Vodka Twins are from Sandy, Utah. We wish them the best. BYU sees Snopers August 13th at North Carolina, but these two are going to represent Tonga. That's pretty cool. Very, very cool. And they're just part of this dominance of women's sports at BYU. Yeah, and, and, and BYU's, uh, you know, Dell Universe uh, put out some amazing statistics this this last athletic year around the women's athletic program. Um, they talk about soccer, volleyball, basketball, and softball. They didn't even include track, which we've highlighted the last couple of weeks. These numbers are mind-boggling. Yeah. So overall, soccer, volleyball, basketball, and softball went 117 and 21. That That's 84.8% winning percentage. Um in the WCC, they went 56 and 5 wow. for a 91.8%. And at home, they went 63 and 5 in all of those sports, 92.7%. And you throw the track team and the women's track team finished in the top 10 at the mm-hmm. NCAA. So that's another top 10 finish for women's track. And gymnastics was in the top 15, I believe, in the national ranking. You, you think about BYU's, BYU's women's program is across the board, ready to go into the Big 12 and compete at the highest level. BYU soccer can play with anyone. Yeah. Anyone. Those, those numbers are, are numbing because they played good teams. Soccer yeah. went to the national championship game. Yeah, well, remember, the, in, defending, uh, the defending national champ was from the WCC the year before yeah. in the Santa Clara. So it's, yeah, it's, yeah, the BYU's women's program is in phenomenal shape to go into the Big 12. We don't talk about that enough. They're, 
They're ready to roll. Ashley Hatch, who was phenomenal at BYU, is now on the United States women's national team. She's on the pitch tonight. They're playing Columbia up in Sandy at Rio Tinto Stadium in a friendly. Mm-hmm. And uh, and she, I believe I saw, was going to be in the starting lineup tonight. And that's coming up in about 45 minutes. So uh, it's great to stay, have the national us, team and here. Watch that, right? And 8 o'clock, we'll switch over and, and watch Ashley. And all she does is kick goals. In every game, it seems like she's she's found the, the back of the net. So uh, further evidence of the dominance of this women's program. Baseball made some uh, moves this week. Yeah, I was just head coach Trent Pratt named uh, Brent Harding or uh, Herring. Herring, yeah. yeah, I'm losing my mind, and I and I know I know him well. He's a gym buddy. He lifts at Vasa where you used to lift. Yeah, don't go so, there anymore. No, I know you. you just Too many to, people. No, you go to the country club. You go to the club. <laughs> so club he's the associate and you do yoga head coach. I've done I've done some so, of that. He's now named as the associate head coach. Um, he coached with Pratt at Dixie State. Uh, as assistants with Mike Littlewood, and when Littlewood took the job in twelve, he he bought he brought both of them with him, and so they'll they'll stick together. Um, I'm glad that's good. He, he's also um, done some work. His wife is of Samoan heritage, and so American Samoa's baseball team. He's coached he's coached that team really? as well. Um, so some great ties, um, uh, you know, family ties. Through, through his wife uh, to American Samoa, and he's done a lot for baseball down there. And they're out recruiting and getting ready for one last season in the WCC and then off to the Big 12, which is a really good baseball conference as well. Uh, Jimmer Fredette, what does he share in common with Floyd Mayweather? The bad boy boxer mm-hmm. out of Las mm-hmm. Vegas and Jimmer, they now have kind of a partnership. You could almost say Jimmer works for Floyd Mayweather, and I asked Jimmer today on Sports Nation. I go, you know, I never thought I'd ever say that. He's working for well, so Floyd Mayweather sponsoring the team. So you see these initials TBT, the basketball tournament. It's something um, that that's been around since two thousand. When did this thing start? I'm trying to remember how many years now, but but it's a million dollar winner take all. In a basketball tournament, you put a team together and you come in. Jimmer's played in it before, so Floyd Mayweather is sponsoring and uh, this the money team because it's Money Mayweather, right? Money Mayweather, yeah. And uh, and Jimmer's on the team. They're in the number one seed in the Dayton region. They're going to face the eighth seeded Athletics Miami on Sunday, July twenty fifth. I was just trying to figure out. Who's on the money team? I was going to look that up this afternoon. So if I told Jimmer, I said, look, if you get in a fight with Floyd. Oh yeah, you don't let him establish the jab because that's how he won all his fights. Oh yeah, gotta, here's the thing: you got to just keep moving. If Floyd's there with them, no other team's going to pick a fight with them. <laughs> you, you, he'll just be dropping fools if they if they if they start a fight with with Floyd Mayweather. That's and there's funny. a handful of Cougs in that tournament. Um, I believe uh, uh, Averett's in there, Celius is in there. Uh, Zach might be on Jimmer's team. Um, I'm just I'm just looking who's in here. So you've got. Anders Jacobson, shooting guard. Brandon Crawford. Oh, Brandon's going to be an assistant. That's a long-time friend of Jimmer's. Chad Wiggins. Corey Davis. uh, Dijon Kravich. Eddie Davis. EJ Gallup. Jackie Carmichael. Jimmer Fredette. Jordan Crawford. uh, Peyton Aldridge. Tariko White. Oh, TJ Fredette. That's right. TJ always does play with Jimmer. TJ's more of a rapper than a He's player. He's more of a rapper than a player. But Trevor Booker and uh, Xavier Munford. So you win a million bucks. It's a, they have 64 teams. They start uh, Pioneer Day, and, um, and we, wish, uh, we wish them well. We asked Jimmer about his future. He said, you know, I'm not sure. 
He's got three kids now. Mm-hmm. Uh, the newest is just, what, six weeks old. He and Whitney, they've got their hands full. He said he's playing a boxing one as a dad, trying to figure it oh, all yeah. out. He is fortunately, I, I have a lot of experience being boxed in one. Uh, and so, uh, anyway, got a smile on his face. He's hoping to go play here and have some fun. It's been a while. He didn't play professionally this year because he needed to be home with uh, with Whitney and the, and the new arrival, and so he's eager to get back. Well, he made an unbelievable mark in, in uh, the league over in China, playing for mm-hmm. the Shanghai Sharks, um, and people loved him uh, across the country. He was, a, he was like a national celebrity over there. Um, played for Yao Ming's team, right? Yeah. And uh, he had great endorsement deals and, and did so much. He was just a great representative of BYU over there um, and did, did a great job. But, um, yeah, so at some point it's time to be home. Whitney didn't go over with him with the kids because when you COVID go – COVID and all that Well, stuff. and you go on the road in that league, you go on the road for weeks at a time. And so she's going to be in a foreign land where she doesn't speak the language all by herself no. uh, while Jimmer goes on the road. Just didn't make any sense. So – so that, that gets hard after after a time and I, and, and it's I, not a money thing now no, for Jimmer and no. so you got to decide just how much you how much you love it but uh, we'll follow him in the uh, basketball tournament on the money it, team. It, we were talking about this the other day, the new this nil stuff, right? Yeah. And we'll cover this in another in another show. But can you imagine if the nil deals were around when Jimmer Fredette was playing? It'd be nice. Like Jimmer's the kind of guy that could have commanded a five or six million dollar nil deal. Yeah. He was a national story. Like he, people could not, they just couldn't take their eyes off him. Um, and, and he would have been worth a lot of money in an NIL deal. Timing is everything. Yes, it is. So. Alex Barcelo on the Toronto Raptors Summer League roster as he tries to find a spot in the NBA. Worked out for a bunch of camps leading up to the draft. The Vegas Summer League starts July 7th. His first game's July 9th against the Sixers. Yoli Child's going to play. In the summer league. That's right. The Jazz added Yoli to their roster for their summer league. Um, He played for the Salt Lake City Stars this last year, which is owned by the Jazz, so a farm club, so to speak, for the Jazz. They host their own summer league here um, July 5th through 6th. It's a six-game round-robin tournament before they head to Vegas. Um, Yoli will face the Thunder. And uh, first-round pick Chet Holmgren on Tuesday, July 5th. That'll be a fun matchup. Yeah. And so it'll be BYU and Gonzaga all over again. All so over again. Chet, Chet uh, um, was the number two pick in the NBA draft, right? Yeah, so. he's got to put some weight on. We'll see how yeah. he. He's unbelievably does that. skilled, and people call him Kevin Durant the second. We'll see. That's a that's a big, uh, that's a lot to live up to, right? Yeah. Former Cougar Eric Mika named to the USA Basketball World Cup qualifying team. Their camp's already underway in Miami. Eric's first game's Friday against Puerto Rico and then on July 4th against Cuba. So he's found a way to did, – did you see uh, – Bleacher Report put out a tweet today. Did you see that on the highest paid players for this upcoming season in the NBA? Oh, no, I didn't see it. I didn't see Steph it. Curry is going to make $48.1 million for this every, season. Worth every penny. James Harden, $47.4 million. I'm not sure he's worth that. Russell Westbrook's going to make $47.1 million this season. And LeBron is next on that list to top four with 44.5. So between Westbrook and James, the Lakers, who didn't even make the playoffs, yeah. are paying out $91.6 million. This is, it's crazy. This, it's like Monopoly money. Hey, the only one that earned that money last year was Steph. Yeah. I know. And I know how you feel about him. Yeah, and he's the uh, he's, it's all justified. I know. He earned, he earned my respect. Best player in the world. Yeah. No question. No, no question about it.
All right, we're a couple minutes away from Zach's Super 6. There's a couple other notes I thought were, were interesting that we wanted to pass on. Uh, a future guest on this show, Gary Scheide, is going to join us next week. He's fishing back in Minnesota where he disappears Wait, is every he, summer. Is he going to join us from Minnesota? He's going to join us from Minnesota. Is this going to be like a fishing show? <laughs> He's going like, to. We have pictures of these fish. I don't know if they're photoshopped or not, but we'll show you and you can, uh, you can decide for yourself. And then we'll get, we're guaranteed some fish stories from the quarterback that Jim McMahon told me last week was the guy who started it all at BYU. So can he, OB Gray says Gary's a fisher of men. No, he's actually catching regular fish. He's a fish. fisher of fish. He's a fisher of fish, which I'm not sure is as glorious. But he needs to take like his phone out to the lake with him and do it right from the lakeside and yeah, the fish way, fall well, while he's talking to us. We'll see. It'll be dark back there, I think, in Minnesota. Oh, but yeah, you're right. That's next week. It's going to be awesome. You've got no, questions no, no. for... It stays light in Minnesota until like 11 o'clock at night in the summer. Really? Yeah. Okay. So he's all good. It's all well, good. maybe we'll ask him to get on the boat and, and do that. Uh, future guests on this show on July 12th, Scott Warner, the CEO of Gig, will be here in studio. We're going to talk about NIL deals. Yeah. They're a company who has an NIL deal with, with players. Right. We, we've talked about BYU's relationship with businesses. He's going to explain how it works from a business and their relationship with BYU. We'll also talk about how social media has changed the game for college athletes. And uh, he's a big serial guy, so we're going to debate yeah. some serials. Well, yeah, well. but it'll be, it'll be good for him to help us all understand better how these deals get put in place and yeah. and what, if any, guidelines there are around them and how a company, if they want to get involved, gets involved, how it benefits the company and the play. Like, it will be fast a fascinating discussion because he's right at the forefront of it. I'm really excited to have him on. And he's coming in here. He's coming in here because uh, he wants to. He says, I want to come in. I love it. We'll do it. It's going to be fun. July 19th, the 17th governor of the state of Utah and former Orem High School quarterback Gary Herbert will be live on The Wise Guys. What's more important, that he was the governor for all those years, that he went to Orem, or that we play golf with him? Well, we did have lower taxes, <laughs> so let's think about that. But we do play golf with yeah, him. And I'll tell you, Governor Herbert can play golf. Like, he, he, he is a good golfer. Hey, we wish Philly star Bryce Harper a speedy recovery after breaking his right thumb. Got hit by a pitch Saturday in San Diego. He's hoping to be back in in mid-August. One of my favorite pictures that I've seen on Instagram is when he and his wife were up in Salt Lake and presented President Nelson with a jersey from the Nationals, mm -hmm. which I thought was uh, I thought that was was awesome. And so Harper's banged up, and um, we wish him a speedy recovery. And Danny Ainge got some things done today. Yeah, Danny Ainge hired a new coach. And is it any surprise? That it comes via the Boston Celtics. No, right? that's so, that's what he knows. Yeah, assistant Will Hardy is to be the new head coach of the Jazz, uh, according to a variety of reports. Um, Hardy is 34, so he'll be the youngest head coach in the NBA. How do you think that's going to work with uh, the soap opera between Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert, and the head coach is 34? Here's the thing. I think the head coach is just part of that. And and, and I think that Danny can have some big, big influence on that, I think the whole Dwayne Wade can have some influence. Dwayne Wade's a respected superstar. Danny was a respected player, coach, general manager. I think it's going to take more than the coach to settle that feud and to get that thing settled down and get that team chemistry back. I still think there's one of those guys is not going to be there. That's very, very possible. Because yeah, the trade season hasn't even right. started. And, I think and that the starts jazz, on the The Jazz first. didn't even have a draft pick. Everybody thought they'd trade into the draft. They didn't trade into the draft. So they have to have something up their sleeve. Hey, I'm not protesting taxes. Yes, you are. I'm promoting low taxes. 
That's what I'm promoting. You're, you're protesting high taxes. I, I like to think I'm promoting low taxes. So let, but thanks for that comment there. No, that's there, good. That's BYU good. Boy. Dave, Dave doesn't really protest much, do you? And I promote. You promote. That's, that's, there's two ways to do it. You promote low taxes. I promote low taxes. And I also promote uh, the governor's pardons when we play golf with Governor Herbert. Yeah. When, then, we had a bad shot. He'll give us a pardon. So here's our question. I when love we were, that. When we were playing with him when he was governor, and he had that, he really had that power. And the highway patrol was right. always out with yeah, us. Yeah, they're always out there with us. So I would hit a bad shot, and he would go, you know, I'm going to give you a governor's partner on that. You get another shot. And I'm like, I don't even have to count it. And he goes, no, govern, governor's partner. It's fantastic. When you retire from the governorship, do you still have the ability to give a pardon like that? Because if he... If uh, he still does. Okay. But we have to go look for our own lost balls because the highway patrol is no longer with yeah, us. Yeah, that was always a good... That was always good because they would always find those. So I, I love that he can do that because I need a lot of those. Yeah, we need pardons. So the governor will be here as, as we get into Pioneer Day celebrations yeah. that we... Talk, talk about um, a lot of things. First of all, Pioneer day and you know sports is part of the fabric of this state this is a great sport you know sporting state yeah. uh, it, all kinds of whether it's outdoors sports um or the team sports that we talk about individual sports uh and governor herbert is a is a big he's a sportsman himself but he's a huge sports fan it'd be great to have him in and talk about how sports shapes the culture of this this state and how important sports are to that so tell your friends we're here to stay here on the wise guys wiseguys.com is kind of the hub and we've got our podcast, which will be uh, up from this show tomorrow or the next day. But you can find all our podcasts already up there. And uh, we got some great guests. And then that week takes us into the season premiere of After Further Review. We have to decide which former great running back we want to have on to talk about Tyler Algier on the 26th. And then the teams here in practice uh, for the following week. And then it's then it's the countdown. Yep. To, uh, to the season We'll give opener. you some camp reports each oh, yeah. week and, and talk talk about who's looking good and who's not. And Break down the opponents. Yep, we'll, we'll start doing that. We'll give you previews of games. We're not that far away from that. No. When we started this thing, how many weeks ago? Six, I think. We thought, well, that's we got to figure this thing out, and we appreciate all of you that come on with us every week and help us figure this thing out, but but we got to figure this thing out in time to, to really get into it and roll our sleeves up as we get into fall camp. Well, that's not too far away. No, and it's awesome that it's not too far now, away. Now, I'm not sure we figured it out. <laughs> now, Jack and Jackson and DJ, they always had it figured They're out. They're shaking their heads These guys most always, of our, our show. Our guys over here always had it figured out. But Dave and I <laughs> Dave and I are just figuring it out. So We're figuring it out, but we've got a great crew and a great setup. So be with us uh, as we roll on. So we had Zach Wilson. Last week was Media Day, and Media Day was the day after our last show. So there was a lot going on Wednesday after our Tuesday show, um, and most of that's been documented in the Deseret News and mm -hmm. BYU TV. But in that, uh, I had a chance to interview Zach after the OTAs with the Jets. Right. And we rolled out his six, super six we call it, memories of independence. And uh, we all know them. We all, uh, we all lived through them. Uh, but let's roll out Zach's Super 6. And um, and then at the end, we're going to share a statistic that's going to blow your mind. So that's in just a few minutes. But now we're, we're cranking into the backside of our, of our show. Let's start with the Super 6. These are his Super 6, not our Super 6. Right. You asked him to just – you said, I need your six most memorable moments, the, the six biggest moments that you remember. And so he went to the end of yep. his freshman year in 2018, the famous Idaho Potato Bowl. Remember we are all bummed out that we're – playing in Idaho on Friday before Christmas on the blue turf because it, it wasn't our favorite 
and we're playing Western Michigan. But something happened that day. Yeah, I was I was bummed out. Gavin was playing in that game, and it was not warm no, out there, no. so it didn't seem like a bowl. But BYU wins forty nine to eighteen in that bowl game. But but Zach went eighteen for eighteen. 317 yards and four touchdowns. A perfect game. And and Zach says, he looks back on that game and in the film, and he wonders, what in the world was I thinking on a few of his throws? <laughs> like, he squeezed some balls into some tight spots. But he was, we talk about being in the zone when the game slows down, and you can just make every throw and every play. That was him. And you remember, you and I were talking, I was like, whoa, that, that reminded me of the Steve Sarkeesian Fresno State game. This kid is, the light bulb just went on. I could literally physically see a bulb go on over his head. And I go, this kid just figured it out. His his mind is now going to match his crazy physical skill set. And he's going to be phenomenal from this point forward. We talked about that before the next season. And then the next season, he was ridiculous. He said his uh, receivers bailed him out on a bunch of throws. Aleva Hifo had a phenomenal game. Yeah. And, uh, and so that's how he ended up an up and down game. Uh, 2018, the perfect game, and it stole the ESPN ticker thing through the whole bowl season. It's yeah. like that BYU guy, that freshman, threw a perfect game uh, in college football. All right, so then we go to 2019 and that uh, double overtime game against Tennessee. That one was on the top of his list. BYU won it 29-26, to 26, but it all goes down to a play with 18 seconds left, third and six on their own 16-yard line in front of 100,000 fans. It's crazy. He drops back, and we're, we're thinking, you know, can, can they get a ball out there 15 yards and get out of bounds? Oh, no. Inexplicably, Tennessee lets Micah Simon run behind the defense. Zach spots him launches this thing 64 yards downfield for a completion, setting up Jake Oldroyd's game-tying field goal as time expired. And that's why he goes on and wins in overtime. And the place is stunned. I couldn't believe it. Yeah. It's like how it's you go back there to Max Hall and Austin Collie. That's the fourth last and 18. time I remember that. Fourth and it's 18. It's like, how does Utah let him get behind the defense? How does Micah Simon get behind the Tennessee defense? Uh, and then in the overtime, BYU... Scores a touchdown. Zach throws a pass to Talon Shumway. Tennessee scores. Then they go into double overtime. Tennessee kicks a field goal. And then Tyson Williams literally, with that offensive line, moves everybody Mm -hmm. into the end zone. And they win it. And Zach said this game was the first time he was really nervous. He says it was the first time he had true jitters because it was an SEC stage. It was all those fans. They were underdogs. And uh, and he was like, hey, yeah, I was – I had the jitters. I was out of my mind. Yeah. And then that's how it ended. Which is interesting that he had, he played as a freshman, but never really bothered him. But this game was the first one where he he actually maybe felt the butterflies or the jitters, which is cool. You got to feel those. Number three in his Super Six following week. Yeah. This is – these this back – think about back-to-back. BYU goes on the road and beats Tennessee. And then they come home, BYU, 30. Number 23, USC, 27 in overtime. Tennessee and USC back-to-back weeks? You've got to be kidding Mm. me. And back-to-back, it's a double overtime game followed by an overtime game. And Zach throws for 280 yards and a touchdown. He also runs for a 16-yard touchdown in this one. And Diane Gonwaloko intercepts in overtime to seal the win. Um, the crowd storms the field. Remember, we yeah. were doing the post-game it show was cr- down on yeah, the field. Yeah, we were down on the field. Everyone's surrounding us. They bring Zach over. 
They bring Kalani over and, uh, and, and ABC's off the air, so we're on the air for our post game. And it was just kind of looked around, and it was, just, it was just madness. It was like 1,000 degrees. If you remember, it was a hot day. But you look around, and you go, this, these are the moments. These are the moments that programs are built by and that fans will always go, remember that time we ran down onto the field, ran over by the broadcasters, celebrate, and we beat USC? I, I remember thinking – this is what everybody hoped for when they declared independence. Yeah. Was that they would have back-to-back overtime wins against Tennessee and USC. You'd have USC in Provo. And we're there with fans just surrounding us, um, doing, doing the interview with both Kalani and with Zach. And remember, Zach was just a sophomore at that point. Um, what a phenomenal win that one was. And they stymied um, USC uh, defensively. That that offense that was supposed to be prolific and everybody thought would come into BYU and put 50 points on the board, held, held them to 27 in overtime. Dr. Ketch, uh, Governor Herbert's going to be on July 19th to answer your question. All right, so then Zach goes to his fourth of the Super 6. BYU's number 15. This is the COVID season. They're on Friday night down in Houston. Houston's supposed to be pretty good. And, um, and, and the Cougs put on a show. It was the Cougs against the Cougs. But one thing Zach said was this was the first game where they actually had a bunch of fans. And he said that meant everything to the players because they'd been in pretty much quiet stadiums. Right. Anyway, they're going out to Houston on a Friday night with the, with the nation watching because there's not a lot of football on. And Zach puts on a show. Yeah. And, and th- this was in October, so they finally had fans, right? And, man, we'd all experienced that. Um, he, he throws for 400 yards and four touchdowns in this game. And who can forget, uh, he hit Dax Milne on a 78-yard touchdown pass on the first offensive play of the game. And I remember that ESPN, it was game two of a doubleheader, and the, and the first game went a little long. And so they get to the studio, they wrap it up, cut to the studio, they throw right out to the game in Houston just as the ball is snapped to Zach and he throws that bomb for a touchdown. You couldn't ask for a better moment right out of the gate on national TV than, uh, than hitting Milne for the touchdown. And I don't know that I've ever seen BYU play better than they did in the second half of that game. Yeah. I mean, they went on a roll and just became unstoppable. They, they ended up beating uh, Houston 43-26, to but they scored 29 unanswered points uh, in the second half. What was um, your favorite play? The, the 78-yard touchdown. How about the Chiefs? Oh, How about the yeah, Chiefs the to Chiefs Mason play. Wake. I forgot about that. Mason, that's right. And, and Patrick Mahomes tweets after the game. That's that, right. that was one of their plays. and Yeah, that's awesome. That's right, the, the toss, the underhand Chiefs toss. You know, Houston wasn't the same after that game. The first half they were flying high, and then BYU had all this confidence. You know, this was their first big road test. Right, right. They go down there and beat Houston. Well, they got another road test coming at a place where they'd never won before, up on the blue turf. BYU's number nine, Boise's number 21, and this is a big showdown on Fox. And this game wasn't close. No. Like, BYU... And we've determined I can say crap on this show. Yeah. BYU literally beat the crap out of Boise State in this game. It, it was never close. 51 to 17. Um, crazy. And Zach throws for 360 yards, three touchdowns. He ran for another one. BYU was up 45 to 3 in the third quarter, Dave, yeah. in that game. I mean, it was unbelievable. The worst dominant. beating Boise State's had at home since like the 70s. Yeah, and why does Zach was telling you why he why that game was so important? Because they hadn't won. He said the team talked about it. No BYU team had won on the blue turf, and they were sick of it. And of course, Boise loves to defend their blue turf. And Zach said, uh, 
We knew we were a better team. We thought we could just go out there and blow them out, and we did. Now, there's a footnote to this game that's got nothing to do with Zach, but has everything to do with Cade Fennigan. Right, because Cade got in that game. Um, they had quarterbacks go down with injuries. Cade got in the game. played actually pretty well. Through two touchdowns. Um, when he was in the game. Played so good that uh, Aaron Roderick's across the way going, you know what? How do we lose this kid? This kid Is dad they, played here? Yeah, and he, he wanted to come to BYU. If, if you'll remember, Cade Finnegan um, chose Boise State over USC because Boise State um, had offered him and hung with him while he was on his mission. Yeah. USC had a coaching change. They started to look at his film while he was on his mission, called his dad and said, hey, listen, we've, we've got the staff assembled now, and we know we didn't offer him before, but we want him to come to USC now. We're going to offer him to come to USC. His dad contacted Cade uh, through the mission office, and, and, and Cade just said, you know what, I committed to Boise State, and I, I stick with my commitments. And you say, well, he left Boise State and went to BYU. Where did Brian Harson go? But he only left after the guy he committed to took a job down in the SEC. Yeah. So, so, he, so the coach left. Cade felt like, okay, now that's the person I was committed to. And Aaron Roderick said, that kid looked pretty dang good. He's turned down USC. He's a kid of commitment. Let's get him up here. He looked really good in spring ball. You know, he's, he, he, he and, uh, and Jake have uh, battled for that backup quarterback spot. I wrote a story about that journey in the Deseret News, and you can find it at Deseret.com. But um, his dad was a transfer to BYU from, I, I want to say, like South Carolina or Clemson, from Clemson. Clemson. And uh, he's a backup quarterback, never really got to, to play because, well, Ty Detmer's here. Mm-hmm. So he's on the sideline watching Ty Detmer. And, um, and he said that, that Ty would just take charge. And in the quarterback rooms with Norm Chow and this and that, Chow would ask a question, and Ty would teach everybody what's going on and how to play the game. And then it was years later that Ty, as the offensive coordinator, went to the Fennigans mm-hmm. to talk to their folks about Cade, and he told them that they weren't going to offer because they had Dinkelman coming in, Ty's right. nephew, uh, and, and Jaron Hall was committed. And they weren't going to offer another quarterback, but Ty was there to explain here's why, and and this is how uh, this is going on. And now, now there's some changes after that with 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 Ty at the, at that spot. And um, Dinkelman didn't come to BYU; he went somewhere else. Tanner McKee was also right. heading Tanner's this way. He went to now. Stanford. But in this small world of you got you got Finnegan's dad uh, as a teammate of Ty's, and then years later Ty's at his house to talk to him about his son. Uh, and, and after it all worked out, his son now is at BYU as the backup quarterback. And that game against Boise State, that was huge for Finnegan, even though at the time, playing against a team he grew up dreaming of playing for, he's playing against them, he had no idea that he'd be suiting up in uh, blue and white, but here he is. Yeah, and it, and it gives BYU depth at a position where they have to have it. And if BYU's really going to be in the quarterback business, they have to have multiple guys. You have to recruit over the top of one another. That's the way they've always done it. And you know, the only way you do that is if you start producing NFL guys. When we, you and I in the parking lot the other night were talking to Gifford Nielsen, one of BYU's all-time greats, Elder Nielsen. Yeah. And, uh, you know, Giff was saying, um, I feel like BYU's back in the quarterback business. He says, I remember when I'm in practice, and who's pushing me every day? Two first-round draft picks. Because he had, he had Giff and Mar- uh, or, uh, Mark and... Uh, and Jim, you know, coming up behind, like it was just like it was always the next one in the assembly line was coming. And they were always pushing each other in practice, and everybody's getting better. And there was never any question that when one went on, the next was going to step in. If Jaron Hall can play the way I think he's going to play this year, 
and likely goes out. And he's, you know, he's projected anywhere from a first to a third round draft pick. Now I think he finds himself in the first or early second when it's all said and done, if he stays healthy. And so then the next guy has got to step up. Is, is that Jacob Conover um, or, or is it Finnegan? I think both of these guys can play, but that's what you've got to have. And then you got the kid from Springville. Yep. Who's um, going to be at some at and, some point? And, and he's he's a phenomenal talent, but he's a mission kid first, so so he'll he'll go out on a mission and come back. But when you start to produce multiple NFL guys, then you're out recruiting players, and they don't go. Am I going to start as a freshman? You go. No, you don't need to start as a freshman here. You come in and you back up and learn from an NFL guy, and then you become the NFL guy. You only need to play for two years or one year here, and you're, you're an NFL guy. That's what Zach did. That's what Jaron did. That's the business we were in. When I came out here, and they were recruiting Sean Salisbury and Robbie Bosco and, and all of us, um, and I'm the player of the year in New York. Robbie's the Northern California player of the year. Sean Salisbury's the national player of the year. And we're all thinking we're coming here because we knew if we could hit the jackpot and earn that job, we're going to the NFL. BYU's right on the verge of getting back to that. Think about this. Um, Mark Wilson's a first-round draft pick. Jim McMahon is first round draft pick, next quarterback. Right. Uh, and then there's and and Steve went to the USFL or he'd have been he'd have been the number one pick. pick. So uh Zach Wilson, first round draft pick, next quarterback, Jaron Hall. And and today one of the ESPN writers projected him the ninth overall pick of the draft, Jaron right. Hall. So, you know, it's just a pick and there's a lot of football to play, but but BYU hasn't put back to back quarterbacks as first round picks since the glory years. Right. And it's like, um, we're kind of in glory years. And if they do that, every quarterback in the country that wants to get into the NFL as a first-round draft pick at least has to look at BYU. They won't all come, and some will go to Alabama and, and some of the NIL deals that are $10 million. But if you want a job in the NFL and they go, he went in and then the next guy went in, uh, I want to be a part of that process. I can get in if I go there. Yeah, and that's... That's the deal. That's why you come even if they've got a guy. Because you're in a position where you're going, well, this is a perennial NFL-producing quarterback factory. I Because kids are out there going, am I going to start as a freshman? Am I your guy right now? And BYU, if you get back-to-back first-round draft picks, you go, listen, you don't need to play as a freshman here. Like Zach had to. Jaron didn't. You right. know, well, because he backed up Zach. You sit behind the good guy. And then you play for, for you have one great year here. Because Zach was really good as a sophomore, but he was phenomenal as a junior, and he goes out. Jaron was really good this last as a sophomore. Jaron's numbers, we'd have to look at them side by side, probably better than Zach's as a sophomore. If Jaron has a phenomenal junior year, he's going out. Yeah. And so you recruit and you say, listen, you don't need to come in here and worry about if you're going to play right away because the answer is no because you got a first-round draft pick that's probably going to play in front of you, and then you're going to be a first-round draft pick. That's why I think Jackson Dart made a mistake. Didn't want to sit behind Jaron Hall, and Ole Miss is saying, hey, you can play right now. Whether or not he's going to play as a starter remains to be seen. And whether or not he would have been better than what BYU has, it's a moot point at this point. But his beef was, uh, I don't want to sit behind anybody. I want to play, I want to play, I want to play. And it's like, that's not always to your best interest. Right. And Jackson's a phenomenal player. Even McMahon player. sat a year. He didn't want to. He didn't want but, to. But he did. And yeah. remember, Jim played some as a sophomore and uh-huh. was really promising. And Jim, he thought he was better than Mark. And you know what? And in college, he probably was. There, there are two senior years. But Lavelle knew he had two first-round draft picks. So, and, and Jim was one year behind. And he's like, how do I separate these two guys out? I think I have two first-round draft picks. I'm going to play Mark. 
and then Jim is going to redshirt. And Jim did not like it. Um, but but it worked out for everybody. Now you had two first-round draft picks back-to-back. Jim played two years. That redshirt year separated them. But you remember when Jim was here this last week, he was telling us the story about how right up until yeah. the Texas A&M game, they're like, we you, we may not be redshirting. you got to get ready to play because Mark's got appendicitis. You, he, you may have to play. And then Mark came off of the hospital bed to go win on the road at A&M. And that was the first live game on KBYU, right. 1979, in Rice Stadium in Houston because something That's was right. going on at A&M. That's right. And a two-point conversion uh, won the game 1817. Who caught that? Because I met him at Danny Plater's funeral. Mike we Lacey. About Mike Lacey. Mike Lacey, the tight He end. caught the two-point conversion. One of the right. biggest catches in the history of BYU football, which, which uh, doesn't get the props that it deserves. But even Jim said that win right there Legitimized put BYU, BYU on the yeah, map. It was like, wait, BYU beat and m was like A&M? ranked third or something like that. And they that. were a perennial power. So yeah. that was like, hey, BYU can play with the big boys. So, so Jim did redshirt. They separated him. Um, and so Jim really just played two seasons. His junior year, right after his redshirt year, he broke 70-plus NCAA records that year. Seemed to work out. It's a ridiculous year. It seemed to work out. The, the immediate payoff, um, you know, doesn't always – it's not always the way to go. You know, as a, as a freshman, we've seen freshmen come into BYU, ranked number one in the country. Would it have killed them to have two years to figure it out? But Jay Keeps was thrown right in there, and and it didn't work out for him. Yeah, and, 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 and BYU's never had a higher-rated quarterback. Yeah, Jake is is um, one of the top quarterback coaches in the country right now. Works with a bunch of NFL guys. Yeah, he's with the Broncos yep. now, and and does a phenomenal job. It was a, almost a disservice to Jake to throw him to the wolves as a freshman. It's just hard to play as a freshman, yeah. especially in BYU's offense, which is made like an NFL offense. Um, you know, you were talking to Zach Wilson the other day, and he, he pointed that out, that BYU's offense prepared him, the kind of reads that he had to make, the type of calls, what they're asking him to do. Some of these colleges will play a freshman, but they do these little progression reads. You just go one, two, three. Just hit the guy that's open. First, guys, we're going to go deep to short on this one. On this particular route, we go, we go short to deep. Just progression reads one, two, three, where BYU's saying, hey, want you to read read the defense. On this throw, all curls, it's inside out, away from the Mike linebacker, if it's zone. If it's man, you're going to isolate this guy. And so you're reading defenses like you do in the NFL, and that takes time, but it prepares quarterbacks to play in the NFL, and it's hard for a freshman to play in that system. And then when adversity comes and it hit Jake his sophomore year, because he had some big games his freshman year. Mm -hmm. It finished the bowl game, lit up New Mexico State, but it was New Mexico State. When adversity came, um, you know what? He could have... He could have used another year to, to mm-hmm. get ready for it, and then who knows? That's the funny thing about the game. All right, number six, Zach's Super Six. Here's number six, number 16, BYU. They go to the Boca Raton Bowl. They don't want to be there. Remember, this is after they beat San Diego State, which came after they got beat at Coastal Carolina. They wanted to be in – they are planning to get into the New Year's Six. So they weren't, weren't thrilled with Boca Raton, but they were okay with Central Florida uh, because they had uh, a quarterback who led the country in total offense. And uh, and and they're playing in Florida, so they're kind of the home team, even though the crowd was was limited. But Zach said going into the game, he knew that it was going to be his last game. He already knew he was coming out, uh, and so he was nervous because he wanted to go out right. He said he worked hard that whole week because he hadn't announced it to anything, but he knew this was going to be his last hurrah. And then he went out and he put on a show. 
was crazy. I mean, BYU put on a show in that game. That you know, I talk about that second half of the Houston game. In the last couple of years, this may be the most complete game BYU played. They they were so good in this football game. They were great in that Boise State game, but but Central Florida was one of the most prolific offenses in the country, and they were healthy. That receiving core that they had on that offense is is as fast a group as a group as any team BYU's ever played, and BYU figured out a way um, to match up with them and to play great defense, and the offense just looked unstoppable. Zach threw for 425 yards, three touchdowns. He also ran for two touchdowns and just cemented himself um, as a first-round draft pick. Um, And then, you know, of course, his pro day moved him all the way up uh, to the number two pick. The made-for-TV movie, and he he got to write the script. Some of the throws that he made in that pro day over in the indoor practice facility were just out of this world. But... um, I mean, people took note. Central Florida was a quality team, and BYU literally put, manhandled put 49 them. Put 49 to 20. Listen to this. Listen to this stat. This is the, his numbers through his Super Six. Uh, they were great moments for him. But then I started doing the math, and I'm like, oh, wait a second here. So in those six games that we just spotlighted, Zach was 130 of 177. Threw for 2,014 yards. You know me. i got to figure that out. 16 touchdowns, four rushing touchdowns, and not one interception during those six. So he was uh, 130. For 177. That's almost 74%. No picks, 16 touchdowns. He ran four touchdowns, threw for over 2,000 yards. Six games. It's, it's an incredible run. Yeah. And, and BYU's offense was pretty much unstoppable. Um that whole, you know, that that whole his junior season before he went out. But there's two quotes that uh, I pulled from our interview from Media Day with Zach. Um, his pitch to recruits considering BYU, uh, he's got some very close to him that are considering BYU. Um, and uh, as you follow Twitter and all that, it, it feels like there are hundreds of people now considering BYU. But that quote uh, I thought he had is pretty good. Yeah, he says, not only on the field. But off the field, you're just going to put yourself where you should be in life and what it's going to take to push you to do. On the field, there's not a better place for opportunity. I don't think you see more walk-ons or guys that really come from nothing or three-star recruits with not many offers like me have an opportunity to play big-time football against big-time competition. Um, And he said, um, on the Big 12, I'm really excited for it. I feel the Big 12 is going to be good for us because it's a big-time conference, and I think of the talent we can get in there as well. It's been exciting all through Independence, but I think it would be better for us to be in the Big 12. What I like about that is I like Zach uses the word we and us. Yep, still. Because uh, he's, he's all in, and uh, he's got some brothers on the team, and so the family's still in, which I think is great. And then I also liked uh, in the first quote that you wrote, read, um, there's some maturity to Zach. On, on hey, why should people consider BYU? Um, not only on the field, but off the field, you're just going to put yourself where you should be in life. And um, that that pitch to a kid um, who's coming in cold turkey to an honor code, where it's like, oh, that's different from the life that I know. Um, but why would I want to come do that at BYU? Well, take take Zach's words for it, and Zach's not a perfect kid. None of us are. But in his perspective, looking back is, you know, they just – it helped me stay out of trouble. It helped me stay on the field, and both of those elements allowed me to become 
of the New York Jets quarterback. Yeah, and, that, and that's some maturity, I think, that And BYU, I mean, that's, that's BYU's recruiting pitch. They recruit the parents too, right? They yeah. say, listen, this is going to be a great place for your son to come play football uh, because we're not just about winning. Now they can go win championships, right, because yeah. they're going to be in the league. It's Absolutely. not just about that. That's a big part of it. But it's about developing young men to and preparing them for life. And Zach just echoes that right there. I think it's great. And you know what I like? About about Kalani, we we talked about this at media day with with Kalani. He does not shy away from saying the kids that have the skill level, we also have a responsibility to prepare them to play in the NFL. Right, help them get a job. Remember when we used to ask Bronco that he's like, "This is not our job. That's we don't even worry about that." And Kalani says, "No, we're preparing the kids that don't get to the NFL for a job in real life, but we're preparing the kids that have the skill to play in the NFL. That's a huge part of what we do. He wants a bunch of them in the NFL." And it's only good for the program. He's going to get a bunch. Yep. He's got a bunch in there already. All right, you ready for this day in history? As we wrap up our show tonight, there's a couple of interesting things. Uh, on this day in 1919, uh, the Treaty of, I want to say, Versailles. Versailles? Versailles. Yeah. Signed and formally ending World War I and creating the League of Nations. That happened on this day in 1919. You know what else happened on this day? 1997, Mike Tyson bit Evander Holyfield's ear at the MGM in Las Vegas. 25th anniversary of my wildest night on the job. You were there. So we're ringside because that's where we sat when we we, uh, covered fights for for Channel 8 in Vegas. This fight had so much buildup. It was going to be held earlier, but uh, I think Tyson's prison sentence got in the way. And anyway, it's finally happening. And um, Holyfield... Beats Tyson in the first fight. This is the rematch. So the two fights have finally happened. And they get in there, and Tyson gets headbutt, uh, and he panics a little bit, and, and he, he bites he bites Evander. And we're watching this, and Evander's jumping up and down, holding his ear. And, uh, and Mills Lane, the referee's like, what just happened here? And they separate the fighters, and they go to the corner, and they realize, as Holyfield goes, he just bit me. And Mills Lane's like, uh, okay, it's the biggest fight in the history of boxing. Um, are we calling this on this technicality? He talks to Mark Ratner, our friend, right, right. with the Boxing Commission. Then he goes over to Tyson. He says, uh, I'm going to penalize you a point. You bite him again, the fight's over. So then they resume the third round. They get in there into a tussle again. And this time, Tyson gets a hold of his right ear and bites part of it off, spits it out down onto the canvas. Uh, Holyfield's jumping up and down again. Now it's escalated. The fight's called off. Tyson's disqualified. Police pour into the ring. Tyson's fighting with them. He's trying to get to Holyfield over in his corner. Holyfield's over there with part of his ear missing. Meantime, a guy picks up the bitten off part of the ear and and turns it over to health official. They tried to sew it back on at Valley Hospital that oh night, my and, they, and they couldn't do it. So we're sitting there. We're watching this, and we're watching the replay. Now, there's a fight in the ring with all of that going on. You got Holyfield and Tyson people fighting with each other behind us in the stands. And remember, there's a lot of money bet on this thing. And oh. now all of a sudden, it's ended like this. And the fight then pours out into the casino at the MGM. They close the casino, and they never like to do that. It's a Saturday night. Tables are overturned. People are stealing chips. Um, we're out on the corner doing live shots. And I watch one ambulance after another come to this place and then I interviewed a lady whose dress was all ripped her and her date because they literally crawled out of the arena goodness because someone that they said someone fired a gun and then the MGM said no that was champagne corks 
Who's popping champagne? Yeah, in hey, riot? you know what? Let's celebrate. The- no, that was not champagne. <laughs> so, Come on. Anyway, all this is going on. Tyson's banned from performing, uh, fighting at the MGM for a period of time. Of course, they invited him back. Right, of course. Yeah, <laughs> that's how it how it goes. But all of that went down on this night, and they became friends over the years. There was even a shoe commercial where the doorbell rings and. Holyfield opens the door, and there's Tyson. He says, I'm sorry, Evander. And he presents him with a box. He says, it's your ear. I'm going to give him oh, your ear back. Right. Then they hugged, and, 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 and so that they've evolved, and Tyson's really matured and, and become his own guy. And, and Holyfield uh, survived that night uh, without biting him back. Um, was so bizarre. And, and Evander, bizarre weirdest hey, night e- in sports. Evander, he's a religious guy, right? So yeah. I mean, he, for, he forgave him. Yeah, he forgave him. him. So. Forgave him, and when you talk to him, I interviewed him a few years ago. That the right bottom part of his ear is gone. They just, so they just. You, you were there that night. Were that. you not also there the night that the guy parachuted into the ring? That was another Holyfield fight against Riddick Bowe. Yes, flew right over our and head. See, this is when you work sports in Vegas. You see all the crazy stuff. <laughs> this that was happens. outdoors at Caesar's Palace. Right, they I remember f- that. A guy, a fan man, he was circling, and then he comes swooping in. They're like in the seventh round, and they're really duking it out. And then all of a sudden, Holyfield is about is looks up, and there's a guy dangling from the HBO lights because his parachute <laughs> got caught in the ring. And the two fighters stop, and everyone's just like, what just happened here? And the fan man, who's, who's passed away, not from that night, but he's since passed away. Anyway, he's over there by, I believe it was Farrakhan's group. Oh, yeah. And they grabbed him, and they beat the lights out of him. And he actually suffered injuries from those guys. Remember, you can say they beat the crap out of him on this show. (laughs) He suffered more injuries from those guys than crashing into the ring. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. I remember at the time you were just like, dude, you have to come to a heavyweight fight down here. It trumps everything in terms of the environment. Like, you're like, yeah, Super Bowl, that's all fine and dandy. NCAA championship, that's great. You have to come to a heavyweight fight. So I invited my dad down. Um, uh, Tyson was fighting um, Frank Bruno from England. At the MGM, and I said, Dad, my dad was a bishop up this road here in Orem, and I said, you got to come down and see. So I'll get you passes if you'll fly down. And uh, and so he did, and picked him up, and we went to the fight, and, he, and we're sitting there watching the undercard down low, and Jack Nicholson walks down our row so we move <laughs> so he can go by, and, and then there's Don King and all the stuff. But we had to sit up high for uh, because I wasn't working the fight. We had to sit up a little higher for the fight. Um, and I said, uh, I said, I want you to come down here. I want you to watch this Mike Tyson fight, but I want you and, and we'll fly you back Sunday morning. So you're there for a bishopric meeting, mm-hmm. ward council. I said, when you have ward council, I want you to go around the room and ask everybody what they did last night. And then when it gets back to you, I want you to tell them you're at the Tyson fight in Vegas. I said, your street cred <laughs> is going to shoot through the roof. Go up big time. And he did that. And Mike Tyson knocked Bruno out of the ring. And, and it was the first time. Uh, that I was in an American venue at a sporting event where the national anthem was booed oh. because they had 6,000 Frank Bruno fans from England over. And, you know, it's not really a great song for England. Let's be honest. No, it's not. And so they sing God Save the Queen and, and, uh, and then the national anthem's on and they just thunderously boo. Oh. And so their guy comes out and they cheer. And now Mike Tyson doesn't know why the, the arena, when he walks out, explodes in cheers for him because people would bet on mike tyson but that doesn't mean they liked mike tyson no he was he was a thug back then anyway uh he's just a nice guy he comes in to this thunderous roar and he knocks him out but after the fight he was asked about it and he goes i didn't know what happened (laughs) 
That's not how he said it. He goes, I don't know why I got that kind of reception. Then they explained it to him that their fans had booed the national anthem. Now, all of a sudden, Iron Mike represented all of us. He was America, man. And he destroyed that guy. But anyway. That's awesome. So, yeah, you've had some crazy things. Also on this day in uh, 2007, the bald eagle Mm -hmm. was removed from the list of endangered and threatened species. And we have like we see them down at the golf course all the time. We have all kinds of wildlife. We've got fox running around trying to take your golf ball and bald eagles in the trees. Yeah, You know what? Let's tell the fox story next week. We'll do that. Number one song on June 28, 1985, Brian Adams' Heaven. Number one movie, you go back 10 years, June 28th, Jaws. Jaws. Have you watched that lately? No, I, I just, I don't, I was. I love that movie back then, but it seems really cheesy right now. It is cheesy, but I won't watch it because my dad took me with my uncle. So it was basically me and the shark. I was 10 and I, I won't watch that movie. Yep. Scared the, scared the daylights out of me. So that was that. Birthdays today. Yeah. Elon Musk's birthday today. How about that? Mel Brooks, John Elway, John Cusack. Um, and the la- late Pat Moriata. Karate Kid. Morita? Morita. Morita. Yeah. Wax on. Wax off. Danielson. Danielson. Mm. That was such a cool movie. Yeah. Oh, I love that. See, that movie still has legs. The I Karate like Kid 1, 2, and 3. And I think they remade Karate Kid, but I, I didn't watch that one. Yeah. This Karate. one, the original one. Karate, not here. Karate, here. So, <laughs> I, I got this. I right, played that part. Let's finish this week's show with a quote from the great Lavelle Edwards. We end all our shows right. with a quote from the coach on why he didn't play at BYU. Okay. If I'd gone to the Y, I would have had to live at home. And if I'd been living at home, my job would have been milking the cows. I was sick of milking, <laughs> milking those two darn cows. I'd have gone to Utah to get away from them. Well, maybe not to Utah. But I wanted to get away. <laughs> That's well, why I went to Utah State. Maybe not to Utah. So. He was sick of milking the cows. Yeah. He's in the Utah State Hall of Fame as a player. He's in the BYU Hall of Fame as a coach. He's in the NCAA Hall of Fame as BYU's coach. The Cougars and Aggies meet Thursday, September 29th at Lavelle Edwards Stadium. It's the last time they're scheduled to meet for a long right, we time. We don't know if they're going to play for a long time after that. ESPN's so. got the game, pre- and post-game on BYU TV. It. But we it seems it. like the perfect place for these two to play in the stadium named after the the guy who played at one place, coached at the other, and is in both halls of fame. Yep, absolutely. So, Hey, happy 4th of July holiday. We'll see you Saturday night at the Stadium of Fire. You get me? I want to be backstage with you and Tim. Yeah, yeah, talk to me about that. <laughs> talk to me about that when you're after. Our podcast will be up for this show, and we had a great interview with Chad Lewis. Yeah. Uh, a, just spectacular. Great, you want to listen to that again and What again. a great guy. Gary Scheide, next, next week, yep. Gary Scheide is our guest right here on The Wise Guys. He'll join us live from Minnesota, where he's wasting the entire summer uh, fishing. With his brother Greg, I don't know if it's, he probably wouldn't like us to say wasting his no. time. Wasting summer. is not a right word for fishing, but it's fishing, and uh, and so that's what he'll be he'll be doing. And then um, we've got uh, Scott Warner coming on the show, CEO of Gig on July twelfth. Governor uh, Gary Herbert, former governor, on July nineteenth. So we've got a loaded show coming up. Tell your friends, log on to ysguys.com, watch our podcast, get onto Twitch so you can join us on the stream. And then uh, we'll just build and build and build. Absolutely. Thanks for being with us tonight. We'll see you. Peace out.